Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 2nd, 2023, including Shinji Mikami leaves Tango Gameworks, Phil Spencer comments on if the Activision deal were to get shut down and what that could mean for the future of Xbox, I beat Atomic Heart and have a lot to say about this new controversial Game Pass title, and more. This day in Xbox history in the year 2004, 19 years ago, Ninja Gaiden, the original Ninja Gaiden, well, the original of the 3D modern era of Ninja Gaiden, released for the original Xbox in the US and Canada. That game is almost 20 years old. It's kind of crazy because I feel like this game doesn't get enough credit for what it really is uh, by today's standards, which is kind of like the precursor to the Souls genre in a way. I know it's a lot more fast-paced and ridiculous in arcade but... um. I mean, it's it's kind of about that whole like marriage of mastering the the dodge, the parry, and the attacks, and getting all nerdy and intricate with this with the dying and the, and the killing and combat system. I don't know. I feel like what Dark Souls games became and all that have a lot of their heritage uh, owed to the Ninja Gaiden series, which is why it's no surprise that Team Ninja, the guys behind Ninja Gaiden, went on to make uh, other games that were then in turn inspired by the Dark Souls games. Uh, with games like Neo, and we're about to get Wulong Final Fallen Dynasty, uh, which is actually quite timely because that's uh, one of the games that's coming out on Xbox in the next couple days. Um, so, pretty pretty timely. It kind of reminds me of the relationship between like uh, Tomb Raider and Uncharted, where it's like obviously the first Uncharted game released in 2007 was heavily inspired by well Indiana Jones, but also Tomb Raider. And then when Tomb Raider kind of got its reboot in 2013, you can tell that Crystal Dynamics took a lot of inspiration from uncharted and now both series are a lot more similar and anyway i don't even know what i'm talking about other than say video games guys welcome to the xbox on podcast where we talk about video games at least i started out with some uh cross comparison and 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 speak of actual video games instead of talking about cell phones or politics or food or whatever the hell we normally get into at the top of the show so welcome welcome one welcome all episode 196 of the xbox on podcast it's a new era last week you know i was celebrating pat on the back thanking you guys of course that the youtube channel uh, xbox on youtube.com slash xbox on is now at over a thousand subscribers so uh, thank you guys for that. I was, it's just ever since that's happened, my my life has changed. Uh, I was walking out of Walmart the other day. I found a nickel on the ground. Um, some guy was like, hey, and I thought he probably recognized my voice, even though I wasn't talking uh, from the podcast, of course. So I just, you know, life's changed for me. I've just been like famous on my, you know, it's, it's, it's coming to me. You know what I mean? But uh, all terribly not funny joking aside, uh, let's start this week because we have just an insane amount of mild amusement stories and stories not important you know the 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 first and last news segments Uh, as far as the main news is concerned we have a decent amount of news but it's manageable but otherwise with the smaller news segments we're just inundated with so much shit to talk about this week so we got to keep somewhat of a decent pace going but you know how it goes i always say that and then 
three hours later, I'm explaining the nuances between how BJ's cleans their bathroom versus how Costco cleans their bathroom and why uh, why the scent of BJ's white might not be quite as appealing as the Costco bathroom scent, but is ultimately cleaner, whatever, probably. But here's what we're going to talk about, because we're going to start out the podcast getting straight down to business. So we're going to start with our notable game releases of the week. Okay, We got two of them. We just kind of danced around one, but I'll, I'll start with the one I care more about because... I fucking love Destiny. That is the Destiny 2 Lightfall expansion. It is out now. If you're listening to this podcast, that's right. It came out February 28th, and it's now March 2nd, so you are living in the past. If you're playing Destiny 2 Lightfall, you should already be moved on. No, but seriously, this uh, this is the, the big expansion for Destiny that I think is going to hook a lot of people because it seems like the first time where they're really taking a lot of liberty with some of the aesthetic of the game and, and doing some cool things like the grappling hook, and it just seems like they're having some fun with Destiny, and I've always been a fan of Destiny since the very first one, you know, since the OG day one, Destiny one back in 2014. So I've I've followed along with every expansion over the years, and I've always had a good time. I really, really, truly love Destiny. I find it to be one of the all time great games, just in terms of it just constantly being there for you when you need a game that's going to feel good, be satisfying to play. You just want to pick something up and have a good time. Destiny's always there for you. I feel a little bit bad because I haven't uh, haven't played as much Destiny the past couple of years as I'd like to. If, Falling off in a bit just because I've been so inundated with other games. But every time I do get back to Destiny, I have a great time. Uh, Witch Queen was awesome last year. Beyond Light was awesome the year before that. I assume Lightfall will be no different. Seems like people are pretty high on it. So excited to get into that shortly. I just got to finish up some other games I'm working on before I jump into yet another thing. But no doubt I will be jumping into Lightfall very soon. Uh, The other big notable game coming out this week. Uh, on March 3rd, so this Friday, the day after this podcast goes live, is Wolong Fallen Dynasty. We just talked about it. Uh, developed by Team Ninja, it is the new Souls-like game from the creators of the Ninja Gaiden and Neo series. And yeah, this game looks great. We've already we, we've known for a while it's going to be a day one Game Pass game. So you know, I think that's such a great it's such a great thing to have day one Game Pass available for games like this, games that are all about brutal grueling combat uh, that might not be for everyone's taste because it gives you an opportunity to try uh, this game and see if this genre is even for you which I greatly appreciate because I like for example last year when Elden Ring was blowing the world up I I just didn't really want to spend 60 bucks because I knew I'd be like oh this game's kind of cool I see why it's likable and then an hour and a half into the game be like fuck this game I hate this game I suck at this game I'm never playing this game again and so I'm glad Wolong Fallen Dynasty is going to be a Game Pass title because I will no doubt give the game a fair college try, although I fully expect I'll give up within 60 to 90 minutes of of jumping in. Although I did try to play that first demo that came out, man, what was that, like six months ago or something like that? And um, the demo was completely fucked on my Xbox. It just kept crashing, so I didn't really get to play it thoroughly. But needless to say, I, I'm going to give this one a go. Just I just don't expect my... Uh, my unskilled, impatient ass to be able to stick with it, but doesn't mean I'm not excited to give it a go. So, Wolong Fallen Dynasty for those Souls fans out there. Destiny 2 Lightfall for people who enjoy games that are really awesome and really great, because Destiny continues to just be an incredible product. And, uh, yeah, lots of good stuff. Guys, we're we're in the thick of it, I swear to God. These, this February, March time period these days, it's just... It's crazier than, like, the October-November time period. It's just always so crazy. We have so much stuff. I'm still trying to get caught up. We'll talk about it when we get into the what I've been playing, but I'm still playing Hi-Fi Rush, just trying to get through that. Uh, I got to get back to Hogwarts Legacy, and then we got a bunch of other stuff on the way. And before you know it, in April, we got Minecraft. In May, we got Redfall. Uh, we got, like, five other games I'm forgetting that are probably coming out in the next 10 days that I'm failing to mention because there's just so much happening right now. But one, you know, how, how do you eat an elephant? 
one game at a time. Let's move on to the Activision updates of the week. We got two little quick ones, so we'll slide them in. There's another Activision-related story in the news, but that's going to be in the main news segment, not this little Activision weekly update part we have here. So our quick little weekly Activision update for you this week is, of course, coming from VGC, where basically all the news in the show comes from, with the rare exception of occasionally gamesindustry.biz or Windows Central. Anyway, Video Game Chronicle says, Xbox boss Phil Spencer has reiterated that Call of Duty players will receive full content and future parity on all platforms should Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard go through. During a recent Xbox On interview pin in that, Spencer was asked uh, if Microsoft intends to offer Xbox players an exclusive content of its $69 billion acquisition of Call of Duty publisher Activision Blizzard. Uh, and he says, quote, when we say available everywhere or not exclusive, we want to make absolute the best Call of Duty uh, for any player on any of those platforms, he answered. I sit here today with great games that have come out in the last couple of weeks. Hogwarts Legacy, yeah, and, uh, well, it has a quest that's only available on PlayStation. It's not available on Xbox as part of that, and I know this is part of the industry, but uh, that's not the game we're trying to play here. Uh, it's not about a skin or a gun. It's not about a certain kind of mo uh, mode or uh, in the game or anything. The same version of the game will be available on all platforms, which is really what we do today. Like, if you're a Minecraft player on PlayStation, I don't think you should feel like you have a lesser version of Minecraft or Minecraft Dungeons or Legends when it comes out, when it, you know, when it ships in April. What we... <laughs> We want to make sure those players feel that they have a great experience on platforms wherever they choose to play. Okay, so it's a little bit of a long-winded way of simply saying, yeah, this, it's bullshit when, you know, one platform gets an extra mode or an extra mission or whatever. And yeah, especially with Call of Duty, because in recent years, boy oh boy, it so, so desperately sucks when it's like, PlayStation players get an extra special survival mode. And then like a year later, when that Call of Duty is completely dead and replaced by the next Call of Duty, they're like, and now it's available for Xbox and PC. I'm like, wow, that's great. I have no interest in playing it now. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just more iterating on the whole, uh, we're, we're truly about breaking down the walls and making games accessible players everywhere they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just more Phil Spencer saying Phil Spencer things. I guess this isn't even remotely surprising, and I should clarify, if anything, really. Yes, Phil Spencer was on Xbox On. This is So Xbox On, I didn't know about this till well after I started this podcast. I need to clarify. Xbox On is, a, it is an official Xbox YouTube channel. It's like, kind of like a podcast, kind of like a YouTube channel. And it's uh, run out of, I think, out of the U.K., Xbox marketing team. Uh, I think they're the guys that run it. I know it's British. I know it's European at the very least. So yeah, Xbox on has been around longer than this podcast has for some fucking reason. When I, when I landed on the name Xbox on for my podcast, I was like, Ooh, I don't think that anyone's used that for anything. That's kind of clever. It's like Xbox one, but you drop the E and now suddenly it's like Xbox on, which is also like the command you would tell your connect to turn on the console. I'm like, Ooh, how clever. I love it because I'm kind of a, a little bit of a, an against the grain kind of punk rocker. And I actually liked the connect. I actually think the Xbox one's way better than a lot of people give it credit for. What a cute, clever little personal name to give the show. I'm going to do an Xbox podcast called Xbox on. And then like 13 episodes into the show, uh, I, I'm like, oh, I wonder if my podcast shows up if I search on YouTube. I'm like, Xbox on, podcast, click. And it's like, Xbox on, British people, 50,000 views, way more subscribers than you. I'm like, shit. I think this is official Xbox. So I don't even know how that works. I think if this podcast ever gets big enough that I could ever get like Squarespace or NordVPN to even give you a, a, a sponsor, I think I'd have to change the name of the podcast or something for fear of being sued into oblivion by Microsoft. I don't think that's how that works. But just, just to clarify, yes, Phil Spencer was on Xbox On, but not this Xbox On, and he will absolutely never be on this Xbox On. Not because he's not welcome, but because... Let's be honest, we we drop the S word and the F word every two seconds and constantly are just in the vulgarities in regard to like 
previous Taco Bell menu items. I just don't think it's in Xbox's best interest to have their uh, their head honcho sullying the name and the brand by uh, having him come on come on this podcast where God knows if I had Phil Spencer in the hot seat, I would ask him all the wrong questions. I'd be like, Phil, tacos or burritos? He'd be like, eh, tacos. I'd be like, eh, wrong. And then I'd drop the fucking trap door and he'd fall down. I'd be like, next CEO. Uh, and it, it just wouldn't be a good time. So nonetheless, that's, uh, oh, there's a, a second part, I guess, of our update this week for Activision blizzard and that whole ordeal uh the european commission has extended the deadline for its decision on microsoft's uh acquisition of activision blizzard in a filing this past wednesday the eu competitive regulator said it had pushed back its provisional deadline by 10 days to april 25th so now that uh, i mean it, it's not a whole lot it's a little over a week week and a half whatever um but yeah a little bit longer before they're gonna make a final judgment just anything to keep us in suspense right i guess anything to keep this fucking story in constant uh, perpetual motion so that nothing ever actually happens we're just constantly it's like i don't know man it's like um it's like when there's like a hurricane or something you know like obviously it's like a hurricane that is a it's a scary thing right you, you should probably take a hurricane pretty seriously like now i live in florida you know i I've, I've lived through a couple moderate mild to moderate hurricanes it's like you know, you should take it seriously, stock up on some necessities, have a contingency plan, maybe make sure you know your fl- if exact evacuation zones. Be serious about it, but also live your fucking life. And then you, you flip on the news and the news is like, OK, 8.7 trillion people dead. No one will ever see the light of day again. I don't think Puerto Rico will ever recover from the devastation. Texas is destroyed. Miami's underwater. Orlando's fucked. It's like, OK, uh, OK, OK, OK. It's, it's some rain and wind. Let's calm down. That's kind of what I feel like where we are at this point where it's like, obviously I'm being facetious. I don't think this is actually true, but it's almost as if like games media is like paying regulatory bodies. Like, please, we need these clicks. We need these Activision stories. Extend your deadlines. We got it. We got to keep because every week I'm just like, guys, I'd love to talk to you about Atomic Heart, this new game I played. I got a lot to say about it, but here's the real news. Um, someone at Activision said the deal should go through. That's their personal belief. The EU responded and said, we think PlayStation would have an unfair advantage. Um, Jim Ryan uh, got his hand stuck in the ice maker and started crying. Uh, Phil Spencer said she wants to play games with gamers on all the platforms and so tired and redundant. But nonetheless, 10 more days before we get a ruling from them. Remember, there's three regulatory bodies we're kind of waiting on word from. It's the CMA, FTC, and the EU. So we got we got some waiting to do. This isn't, you know, this is just one of the big three, although. April 25th is now a really important date because if the EU shuts this deal down, it's kind of dead in the water, you know, like the Microsoft can't really push this deal through if if one of these three shut it down. It's not like they're going to buy Activision Blizzard and then just stop selling their games and doing business in in Europe or something like that. It's just not an option for them. So it is it is an important date nonetheless. So now all eyes are turned to April 25th, which is the first date uh, of any of these approvals or or denials. We'll see. so either they'll get denied and the deal is over or they'll get approved and we'll move on to the next round, basically uh, round one of three, really. So that's your update for the week on Activision Blizzard. We'll come back to that story a little bit in the main news segment, but for different reasons, more interesting reasons. That's why that's in the main news. And this is in the uh, small update news section. Speaking of small update news sections, what a what a great title. Let's move into our mildly amusing stories our updates of the week. Which, uh, like I said, top of the show, we got a lot of these. ton of these, actually. But really interesting ones. Starting off with one I know a lot of you guys will care about, which is that Microsoft, the head of gaming, Mr. 
Phil Spencer, CEO of gaming, if you will, said the company has some more golden eye type reveals planned over the coming months ahead of a major product showcase that they have planned in June that we already knew about. They've teased it at the end of the developer direct conference back in January. Xbox confirmed plans to host and produce an L.A. based show in June. And during his recent Xbox on interview again, the British people, not me. Uh, Spencer was asked if there are any other big reveals planned for some before the summer showcase, to which he said, so a lot of our focus right now is on the showcase in June, but there's some news that's coming out. Like, you know, what we did with GoldenEye, I think that if you know, if you like that type of announcement, I'm thinking like, you know, GoldenEye type announcements. Following months of speculation, Microsoft officially announced a modern port of GoldenEye 007 for Game Pass in late January, and Phil Spencer said, so obviously there will be games available on different services, uh, obviously, Game Pass, the portfolio will continue to grow, but most of our focus as a team is really on getting ready for the showcase. So, I don't, you know, let your imagination run wild. I fucking Banjo-Kazooie, uh, from the ground up remake, grabbed by the ghoulies in 8K, stunning 8K, 26 frames per second. Uh, what, I, what could it be? Jet Force Gemini? For the first time on the Series X? I don't know. But, yeah, it seems like, um, clearly... Clearly, they're looking to do some other little cutie uh, teases here and there. I, I honestly, I'm not creatively, I'm not creatively energized right now enough to to really kind of guess and, and and play make believe and figure out what potentially any of these these surprise announcements could be. But wouldn't it be cool? Just saying, wouldn't it be cool if that Phantom Dust remake that never actually came to fruition just happened? That's too big of a, an announcement to be just a little golden, I think. But that'd be pretty cool. Or they could announce something really, really stupid and not very business savvy, and be like, "Hey, uh, we're 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 doing Scalebound. We got with Platinum Games. We said we heard your desperate cries. We're gonna do Scalebound after all. Fuck you. Here it is. So it's, it's available now. I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't think it'll be anything too too big. But yeah, it'll be. Uh, it's good to know that we have some other little nuggets of information between now and then. Although we are expecting a Starfield specialized direct and that is one of the big stories right now uh, which i didn't put in the news but the rumor going around is that imminently we will learn of a date for a starfield direct showcase event whatever uh the rumor was we would have heard about it this week although at the time of recording this it's wednesday night we still haven't heard about it, so fuck me that means it's probably going to happen thursday morning they'll announce it if not maybe next week but yes the rumor from reliable trustworthy sources is that we are supposed to get some kind of information as to when we'll get that Starfield Direct, which is, which is probably when we'll not only see more gameplay, but get a release date for Starfield uh, in the coming week or so. So stay tuned for that. Um, next up, let's talk about some Gears of War, or more important, or, or, or more specifically, the developer behind Gears of War, the Coalition, who are hiring for the next Gears of War game, presumably. Uh, a new job listing in the job listing ad, uh, they posted this this past week. They specifically titled uh, the job role as Senior Gameplay Designer for Gears of War, the Coalition said, uh, leaving applicants in no doubt as to what the project they're working on will be. Although it's not clear from the ad as to whether or not the project is a proper Gear 6 or a remastered collection of previous titles, the job description appears to indicate a new uh, title as it, speci it specifies that the Coalition is looking for candidates who are capable of creating gameplay features. Reading... Quote, we are searching for candidates with experience in character, camera, and controls. The three C's are artificial intelligence AI systems. You have experience owning large-scale features and guiding them through initial concept phases from polish to completion. 
So, yeah, clearly this is for the next Gears title. We've heard uh, the rumors and reports from, like, Jeff Grubb and the like that they are now moving away from a couple internally canceled uh, spin-off, new IP-type whatever products projects and are moving full-fledged into the next Gears of War, presumably Gears 6, uh, which I was quite pleased to see uh, because although I like the Coalition to be able to do other things, Gears 5 ends on a cliffhanger and desperately begs for Gears 6, so I think you gotta you kind of owe this game before you move on to something else, in my opinion. Uh, however, this is a little disheartening as well because this is a this title, a senior gameplay designer... I don't know. I feel like that's like if you have a foundation of what you're doing for the next Gears of War game, I feel like a senior gameplay designer is someone you probably already have on staff. I don't I you know, I don't know enough about the industry. I don't work in it or anything, so I don't know if maybe that's something you have multiples of or maybe you have all the ideas down and now you're trying to find someone who could design these ideas in a, in a way that translates properly into gameplay. I don't know, but it just seems like it seems like they're just transitioning to gear six now. And we are a very long ways away from seeing it, which would just lead me to wonder, um, coalition. What, what, did, what did we get done in the, I don't know what's it been now, three, almost four years since gears five came out. You just, you have nothing to show for it. And now we're just starting gear six. I used to always give Coalition credit for being the Xbox team that kind of was a well-oiled machine despite the other teams being a little bit dysfunctional. And now it seems like they're kind of falling into that that state of disarray. And I, I know they lost Rod Ferguson. He went over to Blizzard and started working on Diablo after Gears 5. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. But, man, this is not, not good, not great. I mean, I guess you, at least you still got the Forza Horizon team putting out games consistently. And, yeah. Thank God for Obsidian. But, yeah, I mean, obviously it's exciting. I don't mean to be so dour. It's just I really hope we're not seeing a situation unfold where the Coalition has been without a new project for almost four years, has nothing to show for it, and now are just now getting started on what's next because that would just be not a super great sight, but it might be what we're looking at. So, yay. All right, next up, Baldur's Gate 3. I saw a lot of people talking about this game, a lot of people salty about this game. As VGC reports, following the announcement of Baldur's Gate 3 releasing on PS5 and PC, Larian, Larian Studios, I've never said their name, Larian Studios hasn't ruled out uh, the game coming to Xbox as well. Alongside the reveal for Sony's console during the PlayStation State of Play last week, developer and publisher Larian confirmed that on August 31st, 2023, uh, the game will release... Uh, this long-awaited, much-desired RPG sequel. The news left some Xbox fans wondering if they'll ever get to see the game on Xbox consoles. And in an update following the announcement, Larian confirmed that the Xbox version of the game is in development, but that its release status is currently undetermined due to technical issues the studio has not overcome, saying, quote, We've had an Xbox version of Baldur's Gate 3 in development for some time. However, we've run into some technical issues developing the Xbox port that stopped us from feeling 100% confident in announcing a release date. Until we're certain we found the right solution. Specifically, we've been unable to get split-screen co-op to work in the same standard for Series S and X, which is a requirement in order to ship. There's no platform exclusivity preventing us from putting the game on Xbox day and date. Should that be a technical... It, it should be... Sorry... Should that be a technical possibility? If we were to do so and announce further platforms, we want to make sure that each version lives up to our standards and expectations. So this is interesting, not because, not just because it's happening, which isn't, I, I mean, I guess it's interesting. It's just the fact that they're able to be so straightforward and candid about this. Now, we've seen other examples in the past of developers basically saying, like, yeah, it's the Series S that's kind of holding us back. We saw Gotham Knights developers saying that, uh, kind of, kicking the can and or, or saying blaming the xbox series s for the for the game running at a shitty and pathetic 30 fps 
even on Series X and uh, on Series X and PS5, um, which you know a lot of us kind of shrugged off and said, no, that's just poor development because. I mean, a lot of people manage to get 60 FPS out of the Xbox Series S, and I don't see what the excuse for Gotham Knights running so poorly on PS5 was. You know, what's what's the excuse there? So, uh, this, it just, it does lend some credibility to some argument somewhere that, you know, hey, 343 dealt with this issue with Halo, and that's kind of why that game's split screen got canned, and we, we're seeing this issue happen now with Boulder's Gate, and hmm, we know Xbox's requirement is, you can't put out a game for Series X without putting out on Series S. They have to be treated as one platform in terms of compatibility because you can't have a situation where, where Mama Karen buys an Xbox Series S for little Johnny, and then Johnny's like, uh-oh, I can't play my favorite game, Laser Suit Larry 6, and, and uh, the Mystery Quest on my Series S. It's only on the Series X, so they don't want that situation. They want complete parity, so everything that runs on the X has to run on the S. And it seems like we've got another example here of potentially some developers not really knowing how to achieve complete parity and get the their games up and running at the to a spec that is uh i guess commendable and acceptable so i don't know this seems like an issue for xbox more than anything like if you're having this situation like your fans are disappointed these games that people want to play are not coming to your platform because the developers are having trouble with your lowest common denominator that's something you want to step in and try to do something about and we know xbox has worked on it they have had updates for the series s to unlock further power and to try and optimize the console and hey i i've been touting this little box for a couple months now i picked one up back in november i love the series s i play on the series s almost every week uh it's, it's my secondary xbox console and i i love the device i feel like it it runs just as well as my series x games look a little bit worse but not not by much I, I really highly strongly recommend the series s to actually the vast majority of people who want a new xbox unless you're like a hardcore spec nerd i really think the series s is the way to go it's a great piece of kit and so you know i'm a huge proponent but if, we, if we're seeing a situation arise where multiple developers over a long period of time are having this issue we gotta look into it because it's it's kind of weird because we're, we're we have so many of these multi-platform games where it's like yeah they're supporting the PS4 they're supporting the Xbox One so why the Series S why is the Series S constantly the hurdle and so I'd like to see I'd like to see Xbox address this and for someone much smarter and better at kind of succinctly and aptly putting this all into digestible terms kind of go through exactly why this is the case because clearly there's some form of a problem occurring here and. I guess the good news, the good takeaway is it seems like at least at some point we're going to get Boulder's Gate on Xbox. It's just going to take some figuring out in a little bit of time. So there's that. I know a lot of people were really disappointed that the game wasn't announced for Xbox as well because people want to play the game. It's right at home on Xbox. It'd be a great Game Pass title. All right, next up, VGC reports. EA is reportedly polling its fans on what they'd like to see, whether they'd like to see Dead Space 2 and 3 remakes. According to the game developer uh, Dylan Rogers... They received a survey asking, quote, how interested are you in a similar remake of Dead Space 2? The survey reportedly asked the same question about Dead Space 3. Um, EA's horror remake was released, Dead Space, was released for the Xbox Series S and S and PC on January 27th. Ranked number two in the U.S. monthly software charts based on just two days of availability. The MPD's reporting period, period covers uh, January 1 through 28, so very impressive numbers. The publisher has yet to comment on if it plans to remake further Dead Space entries. However, uh, the developer of Dead Space Motive, of the remake that is Motive, uh, they have announced that they will be working on a Marvel Iron Man game as their next project, so who knows what that means. It seems like a lot of people were 
very, very pleased with Dead Space Remake and the way they reworked it and everything. A lot of people have been saying, hey, rather than just remaking Dead Space 2, they should actually just use this as kind of like a fresh start for Dead Space and make a whole new sequel, like a brand new game in the Dead Space universe and just make it the direct sequel to this. Kind of have the original trilogy, which is the old three Dead Space games we all know and love, and then have this new remade Dead Space 1 that just came out be kind of a fresh start for a new interpretation of that. So rather than remaking Dead Space 2, make a brand new Dead Space game called Dead Space 2. So it kind of reimagines where the series goes from the first game, which I actually kind of love that idea because a lot of fans are split on Dead Space 2 and 3. I've never played them. I will get to them at some point. But um, I kind of like this idea. It's just like you, you proved your stuff with a really excellent remake that people seem to love. I haven't played it yet. I've only ever played the original Dead Space on Xbox 360. But... <laughs> It just seems like if you've proven that you can do Dead Space really, really well, rather than just go remake the other two Dead Space games that people don't like as much as Dead Space 1, why would you not just try and try your hand at making a brand new Dead Space and see if you can do a Dead Space sequel even better than Visceral did back in the day? So I think that's a great idea. I think it'd be really cool. I think it's awesome that they're surveying about this. However, I just wonder, does this have to be on ice for a long time now because they got to make an Iron Man game? So... It's a little disappointing because while I, you know, I, I would love an Iron Man game, I just, I'd kind of rather someone else make an Iron Man game and these guys be able to make an all new, from the ground up, reimagined Dead Space game. I feel like that'd be cooler, but oh well. Next up, let's talk about, you know, speaking of licensed games, Hitman I, uh, Studio IO Interactive uh, have announced that they're working on a brand new original IP RPG fantasy. However, first they got to work on the James Bond project they announced last year. Uh, but after that, the Copenhagen-based and Barcelona-based teams are working on a brand new IP, an online fantasy RPG, the company said Tuesday. A world and game built from the core to entertain players and expand for many years to come. In April of last year, Windows Central claimed that IO had teamed up with Microsoft to work on a new Dragon-themed IP, which the platform holder was expected to publish as a first-party Xbox exclusive. IO Interactive is currently working on an officially licensed James Bond title with a working project, Project 007. Okay, so first of all, it'd be a bad idea for Xbox to do a second-party Dragon-themed IP. Maybe not a bad idea, but maybe not the best idea to announce something like that anytime in recent history or anytime soon because they're trying to win this argument that they're trying to put games in the center of the universe for everyone to enjoy all around the world and back, and if they take a non-first-party-owned studio and do a second-party game, a game that they pay for that is exclusive to their platform but is not from a team they own, Oof, that might look bad in the eyes of all these uh, regulators and such who are currently saying, hey, PlayStation is going to be at a disadvantage if you buy Activision. So I do wonder about that as a side note. But other than that, I I think this is crazy. I own Interactive. They're going from Hitman to 007, which is like, I can see that. I feel like they're a good fit for 007. To a new fantasy built world-building IP, IP fantasy RPG intellectual property dragons. It's crazy. So, so, so different from um, what my girlfriend likes to do, which is uh, get on Hitman, uh, kill a bunch of people, drag them, and dump them in a closet, and then laugh at, at the pile of bodies. So, it's very, very different uh, for IO Interactive, and I'd be curious to see what this what this team can do in the fantasy RPG, dragon, knights and elves, fantastical kind of space, because it's just so outside their their wheelhouse uh, but obviously i'm sure like most teams this is one of those announcements that's like hey we're announcing an idea for a game and now we need a lot of people to apply for jobs because we don't have the staff to justify this project so in 20 years we'll release this game 
would you like to come work for us? So we're a very, very long ways away from seeing anything about what this game will ever actually be. But nonetheless, just the idea of IO Interactive working on something this different. It'd be like, I don't know, it's, it's like 343, like, hey, we're making a uh, card battling game set in, uh, no, we're making, no, we're making a dating sim. Fuck it, we're making it. Well, no, Halo 4 is kind of like a dating sim. It'd be like, it'd be like, uh, oh, the guys that make um, Forza Horizon making like Fable. It'd be crazy, right? Anyway, let's move on. Our, we got, God, we still got like three or four more of these. So we got, we just got to move fast, I guess. Let's talk about Call of Duty. I, I struggled with whether or not to put this in the main news segment or not because it kind of is that level newsworthy, but I guess in a way so was the last one. But no, we'll just keep it here. And it's about Call of Duty, a game I know many of you are excited to hear about, but it's not about Activision Blizzard or Microsoft. It's just about the game Call of Duty. Uh, new reporting suggests that this year's Call of Duty game will reportedly be a continuation of Modern Warfare 2. That's according to Bloomberg's Jason Schreier, a uh, very, very reliable source who cites po uh, people familiar with the project who claim Activision's goal for the new Call of Duty is to make the game feel like a standalone full-price release and also be an extension of Modern Warfare 2 2022. Maps and modes from Modern Warfare 2 are also planned to be carried over, though Schreier points out that those he spoke with uh, warned that plans may change between now and the game's planned release this fall. It's insane that that much can change between now and like the next six months. It's crazy. But it has previously been reported that 2023 was originally scheduled to be the first year in almost two decades without a mainline Call of Duty title, and that Activision would instead opt for an expansion described as a big single-player campaign with several multiplayer maps. It's now understood that that game has been restructured into a full proper release. So just for context's sake, remember last year around the time Modern Warfare 2 came out, the plan was... Game comes out, and then 2023, we take a year off Call of Duty for the first time in a million years. We get a campaign expansion with some new multiplayer shit that launches in the fall of 2023. And then in 2024, we go back to a proper Call of Duty release with the next Black Ops game, which I was super hyped for, especially when Modern Warfare 2 came out, because I don't care what you haters say. Say what you want all day. The numbers don't fucking lie. Look at the player base online and look at the sales. Modern Warfare 2 is a damn good, day, good game. In fact, I'll go as far and... Keep in mind, I grew up during the, the the heyday of like Modern Warfare 2, 2009 chat lobbies, Halo 3, dropping, you know, kids dropping end bombs and threatening to bang your mom and shit. Like, I grew up in that time period. That was what raised me. You think I had fucking Reading Rainbow on? No, I heard kids screaming the N word at me constantly, and I'm white. And that was my that was my childhood, you know? Like, I, I'm so nostalgic for old school Xbox 360 Call of Duty and Halo 3 and all that shit. Like, I'll always remember that stuff and cherish it so dearly. But that being said, honestly, I think Modern Warfare 2 2022 might be my favorite Modern Warfare game. That might be better than the original Modern Warfare trilogy, Modern Warfare 2019. I think this game is so good. I think the campaign's awesome. It's really, really fun. It's fun to watch it as a movie. You can just go on YouTube and watch a long play of it in the background. It's really nice. Um, I think the multiplayer is fucking great. feels fantastic. It's the perfect balance between everything I like about Modern Warfare with everything I like about Black Ops. It's Honestly, as someone who's traditionally a Black Ops fan more than a Modern Warfare fan, I think Modern Warfare 2 2022 is a phenomenal Call of Duty game. So the fact that they were just going to kind of extend that game another year, I was all on board with that. I was super happy with it. And I think a lot of people were pretty cool with it because it was kind of like fans of Modern Warfare, which is the majority of Call of Duty fans, you just get more support for this game we all love. That's great. And then it was like people who are tired of having a new Call of Duty shoved down their throat every 12 months. Here's the year off. So it was like a win-win all around. So a lot of people were excited about it, but now it seems like we're just kind of like, huh. So this is a little disappointing because it, it, it does that thing again where it like kind of spits in the face of the of the player base. You know, people want to have their game supported. Like I, I know I would be sad if Halo only lasted a year before they 
fucking replace it with the next Halo game. So Call of Duty is kind of the same thing, and it's just disappointing in that regard because you want to have your $70 purchase vindicated by knowing that they're going to back it up and support it and, and treat it as a proper game service because it is a games as a service. That's what Call of Duty is, you know, for maybe more than 12 months. But it seems like now they're going for a little bit more of like a, like a Halo ODST-style Call of Duty where it's going to be basically an expansion to this. So it's going to be like a sequel to the campaign with the multiplayer from the previous game carried over with some additional stuff, which is what Halo 3 ODST was, right? Because Halo 3 ODST was just a brand new campaign, a new story, a new experience for single player, but with Halo 3's multiplayer, but with added content like some more maps and, of course, firefights. So I just feel like this is kind of Activision being like, hey, we can do ODST as well. So... I'm not totally against it, although I really did like the other idea better that they just have a digital download for an expansion for Modern Warfare 2. I think I think part of the idea was that this idea may have the original idea of maybe it just being expansion and DLC and no proper release this year may have been uh, predicated on this idea that the Microsoft Activision deal would complete and go through, and so there wouldn't be like this pressure on Activision to like. Uh, be like shareholders we have a brand new call of duty game that's going to sell 30 million copies by the end of the year coming out in november you know but now that microsoft now that they're not going to be lumped into microsoft by the end of this year because god knows this deal is going to go on until the time our grandkids have grandkids um i think now activision might have that pressure uh that fiduciary um uh, obligation to their to their shareholders to be like we have to have a big triple a proper full Call of Duty release this fall because by the end of 2023, chances are Activision's still going to be Activision as an independent company and not going to be a subsidiary of Xbox because this deal is going to go on, like I said, forever. So my guess is that they kind of are scrambling to make this kind of a proper release, something that they can put on store shelves for the holiday so that they can make that consistent, reliable Call of Duty fall release money um, while they are still an independent company. That is just my tinfoil hat speculation, but I think that's not entirely unfounded. I think there's probably potentially some validity to that so that's my only um guess as to why they would be doing this otherwise i feel like you know if if, if their expectation was oh by august of 2023 we're going to be owned by xbox it's going to be a done deal whatever i think at that point it's like all bets are off just fucking do an expansion who cares you know it's not it's not going to hurt xbox microsoft's bottom line it's not like Satya Nadella is going to be in an earnings call and be like well our third quarter results were pretty disappointing because uh we did a call of duty expansion instead of a call of duty proper release as proper sequel release and everyone's gonna be like oh well damn that's why we didn't make money no fuck you it's microsoft they're just gonna be like azure clouds ai robots take over the world microsoft bill gates Epstein's Island, and then everyone's going to be like, clap, 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 and they're going to see a, a thing. It's going to be like, Microsoft made $18.9 trillion. Fuck you, Ukraine. Also, 75,000 people just lost their jobs, and we're all going to turn a blind eye and talk about TikTok. Anyway, guys, that's it for the Call of Duty stuff. Let's move on for now. Uh, we got three more. Before we get to the proper news, we got three more of these mildly amusing stories. A lot of news this week. Let's talk about Star Wars. Star Wars Jedi Survivor, uh, imminent game coming up pretty damn soon. Well, IGN held an interview. Well, this is VGC relaying IGN's interview. Probably should have gone to IGN directly. But the director of Respawn Entertainment's Star Wars Jedi series has said that he hopes to make a trilogy of games. Now, we are waiting on the sequel to come out next month, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which picks up five years after the 2019 game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. But while this does continue the story of Cal Kestis, one of the last surviving Jedi Knights, its director of the game, Stig, 
Asmussen, Asmussen, I don't know how to say his last name, uh, has said that he'd like the protagonist's journey to stretch into a third game, saying, quote, I've always wanted to see this tr as a trilogy. How can we take Hal and the crew and to new places beyond what we're doing with the first game? We had a pretty decent idea and time frame of where we wanted Survivor to take place, the sequel, uh, what the stakes were going to be and what the tone of the game was going to be, uh, what Cal was going to be up against and how the crew was going to factor into all of that. And there's ideas of what we could do beyond that as well. So while not a whole lot to go off of, clearly he's alluding to the idea that they don't necessarily want to make this the last one, which tells you one thing, spoiler alert, Cal Kestis is probably not going to die at the end of this game, although I don't think anyone was expecting that. But uh, yeah, it sounds like they want to at least do a third game, which... Not surprised this game is done insanely well. Uh, this is one of those rare single-player games where it just sells and sells and sells well beyond its, its launch month, where you know most games sell all their copies within the first couple weeks. The first Star Wars Jedi game just kept selling and selling for a long time afterwards. So I think EA is probably eager to do more of these games, and I think the guys at Respawn have probably been working with this expectation or idea that they'll probably continue to work on this franchise so i am sure that they have more and more ideas which doesn't surprise me although you know i'll, I'll say the generic thing that you don't want to hear but you have to hear which is titanfall 3 all right this one's a quick one we could have actually put it at the bottom of the show but nonetheless it's important it doesn't pertain to me or most people listening to this podcast because most of us are probably in the u.s or north america europe or or australia just based on the metrics i see but anyway Xbox is bringing the PC version of Game Pass to 40 new countries. According to Xbox Wire in a blog post, they said they're bringing it to new countries like Bulgaria, Egypt, Malta, Ukraine. So a lot of PC, uh, sorry, uh, a lot of these players in these countries can access a preview of the PC version of Game Pass beginning today. During this preview period, they'll be able to subscribe to PC for Game Pass with a special testing price that has not been disclosed yet for the first month probably varies from market to market of course then the coming months the full pc game pass library will be properly launched in these countries for all players to access other countries that can look forward to game pass on pc include but are not limited to costa rica algeria iceland kuwait morocco nicaragua paraguay uh, serbia slovenia uh, peru etc etc nicaragua guatemala honduras lithuania morocco or in morocco there's a Morocco Pavilion at Epcot where it has really good food. I had some food there the other day. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, it's, listen, I, I think I put it up at the top just because it's, it's important to note. Even though it doesn't pertain to me, hey, a lot of people in a lot of parts of the world that don't normally get enough uh, spotlight when it comes to gaming are about to get access to a lot of great games and through a really great service that most of us listening to this podcast enjoy on a regular basis. So that, I think, is something worth celebrating, and it's pretty cool. And then finally, our last story of Mild Amusement before we get into the proper news this week, and I'm talking proper. I'm talking about fucking suit and tie. This news is so proper. You'll be fucking slick back hair, cologne, three types of cologne on. It's so proper. It's so nice, so fancy. Uh, Kotaku has reportedly or has reported that over 200 QA testers were let go by EA Games on Tuesday, saying, quote, this is from a spokesperson to Kotaku in an email. So, quote, testing games is an integral part of delivering the best experiences for players, a spokesperson said in an email published blah, 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 to the site. As part of our ongoing global strategy, we're expanding the distribution of our Apex Legends testing team and ending testing ex uh, execution that's been con concentrated in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, impacting service provided by our third-party provider. Our global team, inclusive of remote playtesters across the U.S., enables us to increase our hours per week. We're able to test and optimize the games that reflect uh, 
a commitment to understanding and better serve our growing community around the world. Also, it's important to keep in mind they just canceled a new Titanfall Apex Legends game that we learned about a few weeks ago. Uh, we know Titanfall or Apex Legends on mobile is being canned. They're taking it down. It's being canceled, even though people played it and liked it. Uh, Battlefield for mobile devices is also being canceled. It was never released, but it was in development. That's being canceled. I don't know why I was strangely interested in trying that one out. So I'm, a little, I'm a little disappointed about that one. But yeah, I mean, with all those canceled projects, probably a lot less need for QA testers. But also, we know companies are just looking for excuses to sack people right now. So it probably has a little little column A, a little column B type of deal. But shame on you, EA, as always. Just these big, greedy companies that post massive profits. You know, not creative enough to come up with uh, 75 new Star Wars games, but not creative enough to find a new way to distribute um, all the labor they have within their company. They just got to put people out on the streets. So way to go, EA. You guys are really upstanding citizens there. All right, that is it for all of our stories of mild amusement, guys. Now we can shift on over to the actual news, but if you ever heard Xbox on before, not the European version, the Mii version, you know we don't just jump into the news all willy-nilly. That would be very uh, reckless. That would be dangerous, quite frankly. So what we actually do is I tell you about the games I've been playing this week before we jump into the news so we can talk about all the, all the latest awesome games we've been diving into and what we think about them. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing, i got to tell you about what are they eating. Guys, can I get a moment of silence for the spicy potato taco over at Taco Bell? I don't know why I asked for a, sp a moment of silence because this, this item is not discontinued. It's still widely available. In fact, I think it was discontinued once long ago. People got mad and then they brought it back, if I'm not mistaken. I have no experience with the spicy potato taco really at all. I just know it's a thing that diehard Taco Bell fans, T-Bell fans as we like to call ourselves, have always been strong proponents of. I am a follower of the Taco Bell subreddit page, no doubt. And while I never post, I do lurk quite a bit. And I know the spicy potato taco is something people really rave and rant about. So recently I went and had one for the first time because I, you know, I've been trying to back off fast food. I've been doing mostly pretty decent job of really not having a whole lot of fast food these days. And, um, I, don't know, I, I miss Taco Bell. It's like, you, you know, when people tell you like, oh, if you can quit soda for three months, you'll never miss it again. Or if you can, if you can stop eating at fatty fast food restaurants or stop eating potato chips for a couple months, your body will purge itself with a desire to eat that. And then you'll look back and you'll be like, that's gross. Why would I eat McDonald's? Why would I drink Coke? That's so gross. I, I can't even, I understand the logic when people say that, but let me tell you this. I can go three months, six months, 12 months without eating Taco Bell. And you know what? I might feel better. I might look better. I might be better off for not having had it. But I will not look back at Taco Bell and say, so gross. I can't believe I used to eat that. No, I will go, damn, I really miss Taco Bell. Like, I miss Taco Bell consumption being a part of my identity. It might be sad, but fuck you. It's real. I'm telling you the honest to God truth. So for the first time in a long time, I wanted to have Taco Bell. But a big thing I'm trying to really avoid is just over-the-top sodium intake. And God, if you've ever paid attention to sodium intake at Taco Bell, it is it's terrifying. It's like eat one item at a restaurant. You will get cancer. Fuck diabetes. Fuck obesity and heart disease. You'll just get cancer. Like the sodium. I don't know. I'm scared about the sodium is bad for your heart. Linked to cancers. Americans have way too much sodium in their diet. I'm trying to work on it. So I was looking. What is the lowest calorie, lowest sodium item I can get on the Taco Bell menu that will still balance out that desire for something hearty and satisfying. And what I came to the conclusion of after stocking the nutrition facts ad nauseum on the Taco Bell app was that the spicy potato burrito or taco seems to be one of the top choices. Now, in my mind, a spicy potato taco, although I trust everyone when they say it's really good, 
Uh, it just doesn't sound appealing because I want chicken. I want protein. I want meat. I want meat in my in my Taco Bell. And this idea of foregoing the meat, because spicy potato taco is literally a soft-shell taco with these crispy, soft potato, like, hash little nuggets, and then a spicy, creamy, like, chipotle ranch-type sauce, some shredded cheese, and some shredded lettuce. Boom. Simple as hell. And that's all it is. And I'm like, in my mind, that just doesn't sound good. It sounds like the thing that vegetarians have to eat because they're vegetarian and they can't have meat, you know? Not to be disrespectful, but that's what it sounds like that item is. Oh, boy, was I wrong. I finally just said, you know what? Fuck it. There's always other times. Here, I'll tell you what. If you go to Taco Bell, you get the spicy potato taco, and you hate it that much, I'll, I'll let you splurge. You can go back to Taco Bell later in the same week and have it twice. Not only, not only twice for the first time in a long time, but twice in a fucking week. That's that's what the promise I made to myself. So I stopped by there on the way home from work. I picked up a spicy potato taco. And you know what? This motherfucker is so good. The spicy potato taco is so damn good. Is it my favorite item on the Taco Bell menu? No. not even, Probably not even top five. But it's better. Like, let's... I don't know how many items are on Taco Bell. Let's say Taco Bell's menu has 30 to 40 items. I would say the Taco Bell's uh, spicy potato taco is... It's probably... It's definitely top 15. It's it's somewhere in like the eight to twelve range. It's not bad at all. It's it's pretty good in fact. And if usually you're a beef eater, I would say spicy potato taco. I might even prefer it to beef. Although, as you may know if you've listened to the podcast for a while, when it comes to Taco Bell, I'm a savant, so I don't do beef. I do chicken. That being said, spicy potato taco. It's no substitute for chicken, but it is damn good. In fact, I think what I like the most about it is it doesn't feel like a substitute. It just feels like its own menu item that's really damn good and justifies its existence. It's 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 not a vegetarian alternative. It's not for people looking to cut back or eliminate meat from their diet. It is just a really damn good item that just so happens to not contain meat in it. And that was my takeaway having had it. So, listen, guys, I understand. If you're anything like me, I get it. You're looking at the spicy potato taco. You're saying, why the fuck would I get that? I could get a steak quesadilla, chicken ch- uh, chalupas, a chicken crunch wrap supreme, a cheesy gordita crunch. I understand. All those things sound so appealing. I'm with you. Trust me. Trust your friend. Spicy potato taco. It's cheap. It's low calorie. I mean, everything there is high sodium, but it's lower sodium than a lot of other things. And it's fucking delicious. Get three of those things. Boom. That's lunch. Done. It's like $4. It's the cheapest way you can eat at Taco Bell these days. So shout out to the spicy potato taco. I will 100% be coming back for you. And not because you're one of the least awful for your health options on the menu, but because I genuinely want to eat this item again. It is so good. So shout out to the spicy taco, spicy potato taco. That's it for what I'm eating. Now, guys, let's do a quick transition that I think is pretty subtle, pretty smooth, pretty in line with what we're already talking about, which is Atomic Heart. It's the new game on Game Pass that came out this past week, last week, late last week. Actually, mid last week. I think it came out last Tuesday. It's been out on Game Pass for about a week. And, dude, let me... I don't even know where to start with this. I took notes. I even, like, kind of in my head rehearsed some of the points I wanted to touch on because I just have so much I want to say about this. In fact, I'll, I'll say, I don't think I've had this much to say about a new game since Sonic Frontiers, Halo, Infinite, like, that kind of stuff. Like, I have... So many thoughts and opinions, so many feelings about Atomic Heart, so much to say about this game. And um, we have some comments, some write-ins about this game, which I'll put off to the end because I don't want it to influence how I want to kind of talk. But (sighs) Okay, so going into it, Atomic Heart was my most anticipated game of 2023. 
le- legitimately. I, I it just so happens to be coming out so early in the year. But the games I'm looking forward to playing the most this year were Atomic Heart and Redfall. And I think Atomic Heart edged up just a little bit more because it really looks like a game for those like Bioshock and Wolfenstein fans. And oh boy, is it! So here's the deal. I'm eager as hell all last week to get to this game because um, Tuesday reviews come out, some really positive ones, some really mid ones. I'm like, ah, eh, you know, whatever. It's, a, it's it's not necessarily a AAA studio. It's a Russian team. I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding the game. I'm not totally surprised. Let's see how the game goes. When I finally got the chance to sit down this game on Thursday or Friday night and play it for the first time, oh boy, I was so, so mixed. By the time I was three hours into this game, I uh, I actually had done something I try not to normally do. I, I'm trying to not tweet as much as possible. I think Twitter's just insanely useless. But I, I, I couldn't help but resist. I couldn't resist. Couldn't help but uh, tweet. About three or four hours into this game, I am so insanely disappointed by Atomic Heart. I don't think I've ever been this disappointed by a game, uh, or at least in recent history. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, but this is not it, basically. Something along those lines. And... I got a lot of responses, a lot of feedback, like, whoa, surprised you feel that way. Cronky was kind of blowing me up, like, you're dumb, you're stupid, you have a tiny brain, this game's good, you're just dumb, get good. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I'm really not enjoying this game, and I'm very disappointed by this game, but I'm going to force myself to stick with it, because there's just some, there's some inkling, there's some kind of voice inside my head that was saying, for some reason, you gotta stick with this game, just trust me, just stick with it. So, I was determined to do so, despite the fact that I was ready to also write it off. Initially, my problem with this game was that this game first of all you can tell and i get this a lot with some of these european games i swear to god you can tell they're developed by these teams that are very pc centric you know pc first kind of areas of the world where they play a lot of counter-strike they play a lot of steam they they don't really do console gaming and so i have this problem even a little bit with my beloved wolfenstein new order and new colossus games but especially an atomic heart is so egregious where the aim in this game sucks it's not that the button layout is bad. The button layout is completely serviceable. But the controls in this game are so terrible because the aiming is terrible. There's no such thing as uh, as aim assist whatsoever in this game. The game totally lacks it altogether, and it's terrifying how bad it is. Um, the good thing is that the game is, combat-wise, and I didn't realize this until I started playing it, is like there are guns in the game and you do use guns, but the, the combat, if I had to put it some way, I'd say it's like skewed 70% melee, 30% guns. So the saving grace is that this game is more melee focused in its combat, but oh my God, when you have to use guns, especially anything that's not a shotgun, it's miserable on controller because the aim is just dog shit. There's no such thing as aim assist whatsoever. It's not subtle. It's just wonky and sloppy and sucks. The other thing with the game is that the combat just kind of sucks all around. It's really not that great. When it's when it's at its least obnoxious state, it is completely unremarkable and serviceable and fine. But when it's being its normal self, it is just overwhelming, challenging for no good reason and not fun. The game will throw way too many enemies at you all, all at once. The game will um the the game will just overwhelm you with speedy characters for some fucking reason the enemies in this game are insanely fast for no fucking reasons not balanced at all i don't know who play tested this and thought characters needed to run this fast and attack this fast as they do in this game but it's just miserable you'll get knocked on your ass you can't aim you can't react you can't respond it's just you fucking get your shit kicked in so i had to knock the game down to the easiest difficulty there's three difficulties. I had to put it on the easy mode because I just, with the aim just being so goddamn awful and with the enemies just being so 
poorly balanced. And it's not even that. It's like combat scenarios are so miserably laid out in this game where it's like you walk into a situation there's just like 10 enemies for no reason. Like you get bombarded with like a monster closet for no reason. And this is the, this is the, and trust me, I have a lot of good things to say about this game. I'm starting out this way on purpose to kind of tell a story. This is the kind of part of the game where I'm just like, how did they make these like obvious mistakes? I feel like we don't have these problems anymore. Like the game has a terrible save state situation. Like it's not automatic checkpoints. It's like you have to go into save rooms and stuff. And I'm just scratching my head saying like, how are we in this like PS2 scenario where like, Enemies aren't balanced properly, and aiming sucks, and controls are a little off, and you have save states, and the checkpoints are broken. Like, what what is wrong with this game? Like, that we're running into these kinds of issues. And the reason it especially perplexed me is because the things that I liked about the game are all the things that are really hard to get right that developer Munfish completely fucking nailed. This game gets so many things that are really hard to do so right. And that's why I was so confused. I think that's the reason why I stuck with the game is because I was like, yeah, the, the combat kind of sucks. The controls kind of suck. But you know what's great? The, the world. The world in this game is amazing. The setting is phenomenal. The world building is beautiful. The world is visually stunning. The, the characters are interesting. The plot is crazy cool. Uh, it's, it, the puzzles in this game are really, really good. The game has a lot of puzzle solving, but none of it is like scratch your brain, look it up on YouTube, what do I do here? It's a lot of like intuitive kind of it'll stump you for a little bit and then kind of intuitively guide you along and so you kind of feel smart and like you're accomplishing shit but it's also not hand holdy it's like perfectly balanced the puzzle solving which is so much harder to get than tight fps controls for some reason is really well done while the the, the controls suck i don't i don't get it and like the game is so good at like carefully making sure every piece of the world every element of every part of every mission in the game is carefully like crafted into the world setting and the scope of the world and the story and so everything makes sense like you always understand the reason for why you're doing what you're doing and it's additive to the already really impressive world building that this game has and I'm like that shit's so hard to get right I can think of a million games where like yeah the combat's fun but yeah, everything doesn't make sense it's just kind of like hallway out there hallway of killing enemies like no, no no this game's like the combat's miserable but oh my god it's so cool that like the, in this room they got like this fucking like these like underground farms and shit so they can like sustain life in this planet where they capture the sun like many layers underneath the earth and this is where they have like artificial farms to help do all this like it's so crazy like all the random shit they're doing and how it's like added to the story and I guess I really should have backed up and started with the world because that's really kind of where this game shines and in, in, in what I think the game is really really like really has to offer what people should really be paying attention to and so let me just jump away from that for a second because there's no coherency to my ranting and talk about this game is no doubt I think a lot of people were looking at it like oh it's like a Russian developed Bioshock game I can't wait to play a new Bioshock and yeah this game has tons of Bioshock oozing throughout it but I would argue that this game is just as much um, a game for people who love Wolfenstein like Wolfenstein the New Order or the uh, New Colossus if you love those games I feel like this game is just as much like that uh, the way it is like a Bioshock game it's like 50% both of these games and that's so perfect because I adore both of these games so much and so Atomic Heart takes the best of both worlds and really crafts something that I think is so awesome it has like kinetics and like customization and character progression kind of like Bioshock's uh, VAT system so you can kind of like or not VATS VATS is Fallout uh, what Plasmid system so you kind of got like that cool shit but then it's got an awesome wheel arsenal of weaponry that you can unlock and upgrade and customize and just have fucking wild 
wild ass guns and do crazy shit. The problem is the combat's not very good, so you don't really want to do that. But it's it's kind of playing into the strengths gameplay wise of both of these games. And then as far as the storytelling, the world and the alt history kind of nature of it, it reminds me so much of Wolfenstein. It's like it's like a Wolfenstein story in a Bioshock world. That's kind of what Atomic Heart feels like to me. I think that's the perfect way to put it. And so, real quick, just to talk about this world. So, I love this alt history. Like, it's post-World War II. The Soviets actually won. They're like the most powerful superpower in the world. They've reached insane technological achievement. They have these robots that kind of have replaced the worker in Soviet society. So, obviously, Soviet, Soviet uh, Union, it's a communist-based nation and they have these robots that are basically are insanely intelligent and have replaced the worker to where all the work is being done but the people share the wealth and share the benefits and the in the in the fruits of the labor that they don't even have to do so so the soviet union is flourishing people are living well it's this like utopian futuristic 1950s world so it's a little bit like fallout it's a little bit like bioshock uh it's 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 so fucking cool and it the, the opening scene especially is so much like Rapture, where you're like being brought into the city center and see this awesome world. And it's it's this alternate history where where the Soviet Union won and there's just this massive superpower. And they're right now currently trying to explore space and trying to colonize space and they have all the means to do so and they're working towards it and everything. And they kind of have the upper hand on other nations like the US. Super cool. I love alternate history. I think this shit's so fun. This is what screams to me about Wolfenstein. I love this whole, like, what if Nazi Germany won the war? It's fucking crazy, dude. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I, I watched a few episodes of the Amazon show, uh, Man the High Castle, for the same reason, just because I love, I love, love, love this, like, alternate history of World War II. It's just, it's a crazy event that, like, the whole world fucking went through, and it could have gone a myriad different ways, and it's just, it is crazy. I think it makes for insanely great fictional storytelling to say, well, dude, what what if fucking Japan won? What if what if what if the Russians won? What if what if the Germans won? Like it's so crazy. Like what if what if the US got obliterated? Like it's it is fun thought exercise. And I think using that as the basis for your setting and your world is insanely creative and a lot of fun to go through. And and I gotta say this as a side note. Um something I definitely want to make a uh, make note of. I know a lot of people are like, I don't like this game because it's just like Russian, it's like Russian propaganda, it's like Soviet cucking, and like, I don't, I don't want to like, I, the Soviets were evil, and I don't want to play a game that like, fetishizes how great they were, even if it is made up, it's like, motherfucker dude, listen, I was born in the 90s, but I know even 10 years before I was born, basically for like 40 years, this country that I live in, America, all we've been fucking doing is putting out movie after movie after TV show after piece of entertainment, just fucking fetishizing the U.S. Always the Russians are the bad guys. Everything's about beating the Soviets. Every fucking movie with Tom Cruise or the Stranger Kid things or fucking whatever the hell it is, it's always about the Russians. So is it really that evil for once, you know, for the sake of fucking storytelling, mind you, for us to have a narrative where we just flip the script and see, like, well, let's play the scenario out where the Soviets won. It's a fucking story. No one's telling you're not you're not condoning Joseph Stalin by playing fucking Atomic Heart. You're just saying, "Wow, wouldn't it be fucking wild if the Soviets won World War II? Wow, what, what would have happened? The space race. What if the Soviets won the space race? What if fucking the Cold War never happened? The U.S. was completely underpowered and subservient to the Russians. That's fucking cool. It's a fun what if scenario. So I don't. I, I think it's so insanely like just. No offense, but 
it, it's just kind of like lame to be like, oh yeah, that's a, I won't support a game like that. It's like, whatever, dude. Imagine how the rest of the world, outside of America, I know there are people listening who aren't in America, but imagine how the rest of the world constantly feels having media crammed down their fucking throat when it's like, yeah, we're the best. We got big dicks and blue jeans. Fuck you, America. It's like, it's, a, it's okay for some other country to have some kind of, uh, some kind of, you know, alternate fantasy fiction kind of ink its way into our into our entertainment sphere. It's, it, it doesn't mean anything bad. You can enjoy it. In fact, I would challenge you to engage with content that maybe it has to do with things you don't like or maybe go against your beliefs because it might challenge you to think. I don't know. So I actually love this synopsis, this premise for Atomic Art. I think the setting is fucking crazy cool. And honestly, I think a lot of people who are apprehensive about what this story has to say really should play the game more than anyone because I think you'll be surprised by what the story is about because at the end of the, you know, without spoiling it or giving away too much, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, really, rather, with this game, it's not telling a story of, like, communism is better than capitalism. That's not even remotely close to what it's saying because, yeah, it, it is this, like, utopian communist society where, like, hey, we were able to, you know, in a communist society, the people share the, the, the wealth and the, and the fruits of the labors of the, of the working people, and it's like now we're able to pass on that labor to something that isn't autonomous, like robots, and then the people can still prosper. And it's like, it's, that's, it's not, it doesn't end there. It's not like, oh, and fuck capitalism because uh, rich people enslave poor people basically for, exploit them for cheap labor. It's not that at all, because rather what this game does is it says, it doesn't matter if you are in a capitalist society, a socialist society, a, capital, a communist society, whatever the fuck you want to say. At the end of the day, every political system is fucked. Every economic system is fucked because there's always some nefarious, evil motherfucker. There's always some power struggle who will hijack any moment and conquer and rule and try to make everything else and everyone else subservient and break the rules. And it's just kind of that old adage, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That's basically the theme, the the commentary this game has to say because I actually love the way they do implement the, you know, the, the stuff about the Americans in this game isn't really front and center. It's not really a big, important part. It is very subtle, and I like the way it doesn't beat you over the head with it. But, like, they talk about that. They're like, because, like, in the game, like, these these robots are being exported around the world, and it's kind of like, now they're being turned evil. So the whole thing is it's like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Well, this guy with his corrupt power is essentially going to use his robots, turn them evil, and use that to basically hold dominion over everyone else and be like the world leader, essentially. And the whole thing is like, well, what about the Americans? Aren't the Americans like kind of hesitant to get these robots and to support the Russians because they're kind of like our enemies? And it's like, well, yeah, the Americans have an issue right now where like the politicians are dealing with the corporations that want the robots so they can replace the workers because they're greedy capitalist fucks that just want to replace the workers with cheap labor and then the you know the, the working class americans are suffering because now they don't have money they don't have jobs and so they're fighting the government to not allow the robots into the country so that they can still have a, you know so that the employers and the corporations can still have a need for the workers and it's really cool it's really fun to play with this concept like oh god that's so it's so fucking awesome because in a way what the game is doing is it's like talking about why communism is shit why capitalism shit and why everything doesn't fucking matter and nothing really works because someone's always going to try to break the system and exploit everything and everyone for their own personal gain. I'm like, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's a great story because that's actually the reality of it is we have these fucking politicians and dickwads on TV all day, like buttoning up and trying to scare you with words like socialism as if like they're evil, scary words. But the reality is like, you're going to suffer no matter where the fuck you live because some fucking corporation is going to poison your water and then tell you it's tell you it's good for you and then you'll die at age 56 of cancer while fucking 
Joe Biden, Donald Trump lived to be 364 years old. You wonder why. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not trying to get super political. I just think this game is cool because people should explore different ideas and people should like, listen, I, I, I'm not one of those people who's just like, fuck capitalism, down with capitalism. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm grateful for the country I live in, the, in the world I grew up in. I think I'm pretty blessed. And I'm not trying to say we need to overthrow the government and install communism or anything. But I, I do really love the idea of challenging the faults in our system and also commenting about the faults in another country's system and a game that kind of challenges all of these things and contends with all of them and also uses these faults to tell really interesting and compelling and unique stories. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of better than the other thing we get in games nowadays where it's like, it's a four-player co-op and one person has blue hair and one guy's got a robot doggy sidekick and they fucking kick ass and you got awesome weapons and awesome upgrades and season pass. It's like, dude, there's a million point two billion thousand games that want to be that. If you want to go play a game, go play a game. You, can, you, can't fucking, you can't fucking scroll through an Xbox game sale without finding at least 2.9 trillion of those games, okay? But if you want to play a game that's like compelling storytelling, something that you could read about in a book or see in a beautiful movie, like I think Atomic Rush, uh, Atomic Rush, Atom, I'm looking at Hi-Fi Rush and Atomic Heart written next to each other. I think Atomic Heart has something really, truly compelling to say. Now, that being said, I think the ending is a little weak. I think the game kind of runs out of commentary and kind of, uh, kind of skimps out on the ending a little bit, which is pretty disappointing. But everything leading up to then, I fucking love. I think the game's great. The game does a great job with pacing, great job with... Um, a great job with moment-to-moment -moment storytelling. It's mostly linear, and then there's like these three or four or five open-world segments, and at those points, the game feels a little bit more like Far Cry and a little less like um, Bioshock or Wolfenstein. Uh, I kind of blasted through those because I really don't want that experience. I just want it to be a linear, really um, tight-knit, focused storytelling moment, and the game totally lets you play it that way. So I don't know, man. Boss fights are frustrating and underwhelming. Combat snares are underwhelming as hell. Puzzles are great. The world building is great. The ending is disappointing. I think the commentary of the game is really interesting. The characters are compelling. The main character is a little obnoxious. He's kind of annoying. He keeps saying crispy critters every time he wants to say, like, damn it or shit or something. He goes, crispy critters, and it makes me want to fucking shoot my eyes out. Um, he's less annoying the more you play the game because I think the supporting characters are so good and the overall narrative is so compelling that you focus less on him. He's just kind of like the the vehicle to get you through everything happening around him and so it doesn't bother me as much but the main character p3 as he's named um he's he's fucking obnoxious and not all that great but uh it's awesome like the fucking thing with like his glove and it's like the ai and it, he talks to it and it's like got all the shit and the, and the technology and the bad guy and i'm i'm, I'm being very vague because i don't want to spoil anything i really think you guys should at the end of the day, I, I say this game is like a 6 or a 7 out of 10. It's hard because I think it's a game that could and should be a 9. I'd probably give it a 7. If I have to give it like an arbitrary IGN score, I'm going to give it a, a 7 out of 10. I think this game should be a 9, but they they did some really stupid fuckery. You know, they got a lame-ass first uh, a protagonist. They got terrible combat with terrible controls. And it sucks because the game is beautiful. The puzzles are great. The world building is strong. The storytelling is interesting and unique. And I think... It, it, this give, game gives you a lot to chew on, just like the way Bioshock games do. And I don't think it's as artistic and as provocative as a game like Bioshock is, but I think it's it's above average. It's it's more than what most games can say. I mean, if you want to, again, if you want to go get the fucking blue anime skin for your fucking 
rock and roll gun rollers. What what is this fucking game? I'm thinking about hyenas game, which I actually want to play. It looks fun, but like just eh, it's like ah, everything is everything is Fortnite and Apex Legends tied into one. It's like stop. We got those games. Can we just appreciate that Atomic Heart is something different, something we don't get? Um, one of my favorite genres. Like I think about those Wolfenstein games uh, by Machine Games and. Those are some of my all-time favorite modern games. I love them so, so much. I love the Metro games, although I never got back to the third one. But the first two I absolutely adored. I love Bioshock. I just love these tonal-heavy, first-person, story-driven FPS games that just are so, so engrossing and have really compelling worlds and are kind of sick and twisted and this alternate history and this commentary on political systems and, and economic systems. And I think it's so, so fucking cool. And Atomic Heart, while not being the strongest among them, is definitely worth playing. I think for Game Pass, absolutely it's worth playing. For purchasing, I'd say it's like a, you know, it's like a $40, $45 game kind of thing. But I, I don't know. I don't regret my weekend with it. By the time I force myself to stick with it you know after those first couple hours of really not loving the game finally bumping it down to easy mode and just being like fuck the combat i'm just gonna enjoy the storytelling of this game i'm really glad i stuck with it because i spent all saturday and sunday just blasting through this game and i had an absolute joy um just staying engrossed in it everything all the side content all the things little things you can pick up the little um in-game uh the little like collectible voice reels and and notes and everything it's it's all worth reading and just taking in all the side content and learning about who these people were and what this world was and all the things that have gone wrong and just all the death and destruction because these robots at the flip of a switch turned evil and it's it's campy it's goofy it's ridiculous but it's also like thought provoking and really really badass it's just such a cool game i really really love uh atomic heart and while I can't go around and tell you it's objectively a fantastic game and everyone will like it, um, I, I definitely think if you are a fan of these kinds of games, if you like the Bioshock games, the Wolfenstein games, the Metroid-style games, um, not Metroid, Metro, uh, I, I really think you ought to play this game. So with that, I, I will just quickly run through couple comments we have on Atomic Heart. Cronky writes in and says, I got Atomic Heart and at first I was like a little mixed, but the more I played, the more I like it. It's like a hybrid of Singularity and Prey. Uh, two games you know a lot better than I do, so I'll take your word for it. I also really like the dash system. Got a couple little wonky things, uh, but to be honest, super low expectations. The game's been great. Cronky is playing on PC as a, as a side note, so keep in mind he's probably having a much better experience with the aiming than I am, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I mean, I, I was shitting on this game on Twitter and in our text messages, Cronky, um, when I was three hours into it and now having rolled credits i'm like fucking love this game i'm glad i stuck with it i think it's not probably gonna not be my favorite game of the year unless you know redfall really drops the ball and nothing else really notable comes out but um i i think it has a lot of potential to be a game that sticks with me i mean i beat it four or five days ago and i'm still thinking about it every day because it's it's stuck with me it's a game that it's not, it's not one of those games i'm like that was nice move on it's like it's one of those games like i'll i'll remember that one it's very good uh redo vandal writes in and says not uh, into the whole pro-Soviet fantasy. Call me crazy. I watched some gameplay and other shiny, curvy death bots. Uh, the game looks like hack to a lot of others. Oh, like a hack to a lot of others. I rather never, I rather never like speaking on or around any politics. But if I could grade last week's episode, I'd give it a D with a comment saying needs room for improvement. I don't particularly stand for being. Uh, stand for or behind any country, but I do have respect for any country that's not trying to gain independence. Or any country that, <laughs> sorry, but I do stand, I don't particularly stand for or behind any country, but I do have respect for any country that's trying to gain independency. I put my money where my mouth is, there's tons of games and upcoming games I'd rather support, but you do you, that's that's foremost. 
we'll all have our hills to die on, I guess. Anyway, keep up the great work, man. Any plans for the big episode 200? By the way, there's a slight discrepancy in the thumbnail. Yes, I knew about the thumbnail discrepancy. Thanks for pointing it out. Uh, plans for episode 200? Uh, probably not. I'm, I'm lazy and exhausted all the time, so I, I doubt it, but maybe. <laughs> uh, Redo, I appreciate you writing it genuinely because even though um, a lot of what I said kind of goes flies in the face of what you're saying here, um, I'm constantly asking for you guys, the audience, to write in. You know, say, say say things you disagree with me on. Challenge me. Give me give me a run for my money. You know, I I I, I don't want to be the the kind of podcast that just has an audience of people echoing me. You know, I think that's fucking gross. I think it's weird when you go in circles of people just kind of grandstanding and trying to say the popular thing, and then all their comments are people being like, "Wow, you're such a good person. You say the good thing that's popular." I I totally welcome and embrace. The reality, which is that a lot of people probably listen to this podcast and go, Jesse, you're dumb. Jesse, that's a bad take. Jesse, that's stupid. Jesse, you're silly. Jesse, you don't know what you're talking about. Absolutely. That's totally fine. I think we can live in a world where we can all kind of agree on some things, disagree on others. I think that's a pretty fundamental thing that somehow we've lost our ability to do. Um, so agree to disagree. But personally, I that's why I'm saying, like, your first sentence there, not into the whole pro-Soviet fantasy. That's what I'm saying, man. You don't have to play it. Do what you want. If you decide not to play it, I respect that. Go play something that speaks to you, something that you're more interested in. That's fine. But I think there's a lot of people out there who probably have the impression that this is like some pro-Soviet fetishization kind of deal where in reality there's a lot of blame and criticism to go around with uh, the Soviet Union, with communism and everything, what, what this game gets into because it ends up saying a lot about how you know th these movements get hacked by these people who are pure evil and it's so easy for one person to fuck it all up for everyone else. Vladimir Putin. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sucks that this game was released at a time like this. You know, obviously they didn't know what would be happening with Russia invading Ukraine when they were developing this game. They couldn't have known it would be released in a, a climate like this. And it sucks because no doubt Russia's the aggressor. Vladimir Putin's a piece of shit, human being, doesn't deserve to live. Um, the majority of Russians are probably really good people that do not want to be at war with the Ukraine. The majority of Russians are probably people who are like, I don't give a shit. Leave the Ukraine alone. Leave Ukrainians alone. Leave me alone. Fucking let me live my life. I'm sure that's where most people fall. But unfortunately, as this game kind of comments on, there are always these nefarious, evil motherfuckers who rise to power and kind of hijack the good from everyone and fuck everything up. And that's kind of what the game talks about. And that's kind of what I love about it so much. So, man, I appreciate it. I don't mean to get too political. or I, I'm sure there are people in this, listen to this podcast who are... Super, super liberal, super, super conservative, people who live in all sorts of different countries who have very different perspectives that I'm way too ignorant to be mindful of and, and, and knowledgeable of. And so I want to be respectful and appreciative of that. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about my opinions and my point of view, because otherwise, what good is the podcast if I just read the news verbatim and then move on and say nothing? You know, I got to unfortunately between this and Hogwarts Legacy, a lot of what's happening in gaming right now has been dragged into this quote-unquote political oh, i fucking hate when people look at like gay trans shit as like political political stuff i don't i don't see what's political about fucking human beings being left alone to live their lives and identify as they feel comfortable so that that's a little different but you know we're talking about war we're talking about governments we're talking about world powers yeah that's political and i and i get that but this game is a very political story. That's one of the things I absolutely adore about it. And uh, so I, I got to speak on my interpretation, my experience playing it. And I just think, um, I think there's a lot of people out there who would really, really love this game who maybe don't know it. But 
I guess that's true of basically any game. So I appreciate you writing in. I appreciate the honesty, and I appreciate you supporting the show, Redo. I hope you have a wonderful day. Uh, maybe for episode 200, there'll just be like a 10-minute ending segment where I just say your name really like softly and like kind of baritone and just maybe it sounds like a little creepy or maybe a little sensual. Would that be special enough for you? Would you like that? All right, so that's it for what I've been playing. Oh, yeah, I've also jumped back into Hi-Fi Rush. I decided to put Hogwarts Legacy on ice for a minute, try to attack some of these smaller games first, and then go back into Hogwarts Legacy. So Hi-Fi Rush, I loved it when it first came out, but I immediately then went on vacation and then got pulled in a couple different directions, so I kind of got moved away from it. But I'm back into it now. I'm on, like, level four or five. Hi-Fi Rush, I said it once before, and I'll say it again. This is a Jesse game through and through. I fucking love this game so much. Combat, phenomenal. Storytelling, so fun, so cool, so unique. Artistic flair, everything about it. Well-written, very funny. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it more next week just because this segment's been going on too long, but just know this. Hi-Fi Rush is exactly the kind of shit I want to see more of on Game Pass. I know people want like their God of War competitor. They want like a Horizon Zero Dawn, Last of Us competitor. I don't care. These are the kinds of games that make me happy. If this is what Xbox's first-party output looks more and more like, it's stuff like a little bit of Halo, a little bit of Gears of War, but also Hi-Fi Rush, but also Starfield. Dude, I love it. That's that's the spice of life, and it's so much good stuff, man. I'm all about it. I think Hi-Fi Rush is such a phenomenal game, but we will talk about that next week, probably after I've beaten it, so I have more to say, and also because this, con- this conversation has been going on way too long with Atomic Heart, so I'm sure Atomic Heart will come up again later on in future episodes, but I really enjoyed it. I hope some of you will take the time to give it a fair shake. Uh, and if not, respect. Go play something else. There's tons of good stuff coming out. Go play some Destiny. Play some Wulong. Play some uh, Forza Motorsport 2. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's what you want to play. Anyway, guys, let's jump into the news. We've been going on for far too long. Take a break here, and we'll uh, talk about all the latest happenings in the world of Xbox. All right, guys. Let's start out this week's news with uh, one that broke just after last week's podcast went live, of course. But a uh, big one, breaking one, which is that Shinji Mikami is leaving Tango Gameworks, according to reports. Now, that is uh, timely. We were just talking about Hi-Fi Rush. Bethesda Senior President Todd Vaughn confirmed that Mikami is set to step down from the studio that he founded in a company email that reads, quote, I'm writing today to let you know the studio head, Shinji Mikami, has decided to leave Tango Gameworks in the coming months. Mikami-san has been creating, sorry, has been creative leader and supportive mentor to young developers at Tango for 12 years through his work on the Evil Within franchise, Ghostwire Tokyo, and of course, Hi-Fi Rush. Bethesda has published the following statement on their Twitter account saying, quote, We can confirm Shinji Mikami has decided to leave Tango Gameworks in the coming months. We thank him for his hard work and creative leadership and support as a mentor to young developers. Uh, blah, 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 as we already read. We wish Mikami-san well in the future and are excited for what lies ahead for the talented developers at Tango. Mikami's best known for his time at Capcom, where he directed uh, the first Resident Evil game, its 2002 GameCube remake, and Resident Evil 4, among other titles. During a spell working on games for other studios, such as directing Vanquish for Platinum Games and producing Shadows of the Damned for Grasshopper, Mikami founded Tango Gameworks in 2010, and shortly after this, he agreed to have the studio acquired by Bethesda partners ZeniMax Media at the time, which was such a weird story seeing uh, ZeniMax acquire a Japanese team. In 2020, Mikami stated that he wants to direct one more video game project before he retires, adding that he had no shortage of ideas and they weren't limited to the horror genre. Last year, Mikami re- reiterated this goal in a discussion with Resident Evil Village producer Jun Takeuchi, in which he said, quote, Something else I want to do is make my own games to make another game. Right now, we're slowly preparing for that. And to make it work, I get to give all the annoying jobs to someone else to handle. Although Mikami directed the game Evil Within, 
He has been less hands-on with Tango Gameworks' other titles, including serving as an overseer role and executive producer on recent projects. Tango Gameworks has released five games to date, The Evil Within, Evil Within 2, Ghostwire Tokyo, mobile game Hero Dice, uh, which ended service five months after launch, so that game's no more, and its most recent game, Hi-Fi Rush. All right. So this one's pretty cut and dry. I, uh, I always, those, you know, those people, you know, those fucking PlayStation people, not PlayStation people, but those PlayStation fanboys. There are Xbox fanboys too out there, but in this, in this particular instance, instance, ah, uh, Mikami's leaving. He's probably going to PlayStation. He wants to leave this sinking ship. No, I, I think this is probably e- exactly what it has been and what everyone is pointing to, which is like, you know, the guy's been talking about retiring or doing one more game or passing the torch for a while like this is uh it's it's sad it's just you know we're gonna miss him he's a big part of the industry but like yeah you know this this is huge mikami is one of those massive names in the games industry it's kind of crazy that he's gonna end his tenure kind of being like this this lead at an xbox owned studio uh just just so odd because he is so japanese in terms of like his resume of games he's he's helped bring to existence and teams he's worked on and uh he kind of wraps it all up with zenimax and xbox which is just kind of kind of wild um hi-fi rush what a game to go out on uh for you know the career he's had but yeah i mean this guy is so well regarded for all for all he's done i mean this guy's got like a crazy crazy track record first of all as a side note let me just say shinji mikami if you ever see pictures of this guy I don't know what's happening. Every time I look at him, I feel like I'm dying or something because this man looks like he is no older than like 34 years old. And the fact that he's like almost 60 ready to, you know, hang it up and and, and retire, I just, what the hell is happening? But yeah, this guy's got so many credits. He's got credits on Resident Evil games, Dino Crisis, uh, Devil May Cry, executive producer role, uh, Beautiful Joe, of course, you know, the Capcom 6 or whatever it was, those, those games they were making for GameCube, was 4 or 6 or whatever, those those famous games that were for the Nintendo GameCube um, that were supposed to be console exclusives. Uh, I mean, fucking Killer7, Vanquish. He's got credits on so, so many games, so many big notable games. This guy is one of the... He's not like Hideo Kojima, freaking like... Uh, Neil Druckmann kind of like top top of the world like everyone knows his name everyone knows the game he did but he's very very well known and in the space I think I think in the games industry everyone knows his name for sure and he is one of those names that's just been a massive massive huge influence and contributor um, no doubt to to the industry as a whole you know to, to western games to eastern games to horror to third person action just to so many different kinds of games and he almost always hits gold really where wherever he lands and it's just uh it's kind of crazy that xbox was able to land him because i don't know how to say this politely but you know i love xbox obviously i do an xbox podcast but he's kind of uh he's kind of almost too big for like what xbox normally pulls if that makes sense i know obviously you know I know obviously Xbox has massive titles like Halo and has had times where they've just been huge and you know Cliff Blizzard sorry Cliff Blazinski making Gears of War for Xbox like they they've had huge names but I don't know there's something about Shinji Mikami he's just such a a historyed storied part of the games industry and uh it's a, it's a big loss for Xbox not to have him although you know they haven't had him long and he hasn't really done a whole lot under that time with with Xbox but just knowing that Tango Gameworks is going to kind of move on without him. Honestly, I see a lot of people kind of spelling doom and gloom for this. I don't see this, honestly, as all that end of the world. Now, obviously, he's had a hand on all these projects in some capacity, but 
I haven't played Ghostwire Tokyo yet because I'm waiting for it to come to Xbox, which would actually probably happen in a couple weeks here because it's about to be a year old, and that's what it needs in order for it to come off of PlayStation onto Xbox. But I plan fully on playing that game once it does come out. And I gotta say, The Evil Within just didn't click with me when I played it. I tried, I just it just didn't click with me. But Ghostwire Tokyo looks very much up my alley. And Hi-Fi Rush, I'm adoring that game so far. So if these are the projects that Shinji Mikami kind of stepped back and had like a creative role or kind of like was a support role in some ways or an advisor and not so much like the hands-on visionary of, then I, I have a lot of faith that Tango Gameworks is going to do some great shit even without him. You know, obviously he'll be sorely missed and, and everyone would feel better if he could just stay there forever, no doubt, of course. But I, I think the team will probably be fine without him if, if there are recent titles or anything to go off of because it seems like Evil Within or... Um, Ghostwire Tokyo and Hi-Fi Rush seem a lot more compelling than Evil Within. And I mean, that's just my one personal opinion, but I don't know, man. I just It just seems like they got they got a, a decent future ahead of them, even without Mr. Mikami, although that's not really why we care, right? We care because a, a legend of the industry is hanging up his hat. Now, we don't know 100% for sure that he's retiring. Maybe he does go to PlayStation. Maybe he does go to Capcom again for one more run. Maybe he does try to do one more game. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? But I, I take this as the guy's probably hanging up his hat. Maybe he goes into retirement, realizes I don't like this, I'm gonna come back. Maybe. But for now, you just gotta assume that's it. Hi-Fi Rush. That's the uh that's the little the little end credits for him, you know? That's that's it for him. So not much all to say other than that. You can I'm not gonna sit here and have some conspiracy theory about where he's actually going or why he's actually leaving, or Xbox is a mess and he doesn't want to be on the sinking ship and fuck that dude. He's just dude's been talking about it for a long time. He's ready to, he's ready to go. And so I think he's going. That's really all there is to it. All right, speaking of Xbox and their sinking ship, let's talk about Phil Spencer and what he has to say about Xbox existing without Activision Blizzard if the deal doesn't go through. All right, VGC writes in and said, VGC writes in. Yeah, VGC wrote into the podcast. They said, Jesse, uh, Microsoft's head of gaming Xbox has proposed a $69 billion Activision acquisition is not blah, blah, blah. All right, but seriously, the head of Xbox has said that the proposed Activision Blizzard deal is not a linchpin for the future of Xbox and that the gaming arm will continue to exist even if the deal gets blocked by regulators. Phil Spencer was in the UK this week for talks with the Competition and Markets Authority following the European Commission hearing which it, in which it defended its proposed deal amid concerns that it would harm competition. The CMA said that it is in the middle of an in-depth investigation into the accusation into the acquisition, while it also faces challenges from the European Commissions and the US FTC. Of course, the FTC is the uh, big final boss that they can even get there. Although the deal would be by far Microsoft's biggest ever acquisition, the corporation makes far more non-gaming products such as Windows, Office, cloud services. The Times asked Spencer what would happen if Xbox should be to Xbox should such an important acquisition be blocked by regulators, to which he responded that the gaming business was not dependent on its completion. Quote, this is an important acquisition for us. It's not something. It's not some linchpin uh, to the long term. Xbox will exist if the deal doesn't go through, though, he said. Much of the regulators' concerns around the Activision Blizzard deal have focused on how it could allegedly re- reduce PlayStation's ability to compete, uh, especially with Call of Duty. Spencer said that he was baffled by why regulators were seemingly protecting the console firm, which he had, in a press conference last week, said controls 70% of the market in the console business space. Microsoft recently said that it had offered Sony a 10-year deal, legally enforced contract, for every Call of Duty for the next 10 years to come to PlayStation day and date. However, as we know, they are declining to play ball with that deal. 
Quote, competition is us trying to get stronger, Spencer said to the Times. I don't have a great rationale for how better competition in consoles is something hurtful for consumers. Because to me, having us, Sony, Nintendo doing well in the console market, all of us with the strengths and uniquenesses and content capabilities gives consumers more choice. I hate to see consoles go where phones are, where there's only two manufacturers. And right now, we have three good co uh, competitors. In addition to regulatory concerns around the competition in the console market, people, uh, potential influence on the cloud gaming market, is also being explored. Given the complexity of the investigation, Spencer said that he feels sympathy for the regulators. <laughs> okay. Most of the time, quote, most of the time in my career as X at Xbox, as I've seen with government regulators, there's been a real lack of knowledge about the games industry. I've appreciated spending my time with them in certain cases, helping them to helping them educate. Uh, I think for a lot of the regulators, it's the first time they've looked at the industry. Okay, we can unpack a lot here, unpack a lot here if we want to. So basically, Spencer saying, "Hey, uh, this deal doesn't go through. It's not the end of the road for Xbox," which I kind of find silly that the question even has to be asked. But I guess it is kind of a good journalism question just to kind of get that get that feel, get that vibe, even if that's not necessarily what you're what you're pointing at exactly is like do you think xbox is going to go away without this deal going through um even if it's just kind of a way to get spencer to open up and say some things to get some interesting insight we may otherwise not have heard um it's kind of a, in a way seems like a, a unnecessary question right because microsoft can run xbox as long as they fucking want to because they have fu money and it doesn't matter if game pass is profitable or not it doesn't matter if xbox is uh, in first place or third place it doesn't matter if, if Microsoft wants to do Xbox, they can afford to do Xbox. And what he's basically saying is this deal isn't the make it or break it for the brand. It's It was just, you know, the next plan in our acquisition strategy, essentially. And, I mean, it's pretty obvious that, you know, go back in time to, what was it, 2021? When all this was really starting to kick off in, in the late summer to the fall period where... Activision was under serious scrutiny for all the sexual misconduct and workplace harassment claims and everything where the company was kind of in the shitter. And it was one of those things where the company was being devalued and, and kind of at a low point. And Microsoft was like, hey, here we are. We're, we're sitting on all this capital. We got to spend all we got to spend some fucking money. You know, inflation's about to start heading up. Activision's at an all time low. Let's propose to buy them out at a good deal. Let's let's freaking do it. Let's make it happen. And it, the kind of deal kind of popped out of nowhere. Now, we'll never really know, I guess, or at least not anytime soon. Who knows? Maybe one day Phil Spencer will do a tell-all and we'll hear exactly how it went and why it went the way it did. But our guess is that it is Phil Spencer was or someone at Microsoft was like, hey, Activision, they're, they're in a weakened state. Now, jump, 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 jump. We have the capital. Let's let's fucking try to acquire these guys. Do it quick. And this deal was probably slapped together super fast. And and, and they, they've kind of been building the ship in midair, so to speak, right? Where, why are they buying Activision? Don't ask. We'll find out later. Um, what is our defense and our reason for why we're trying to acquire uh, Activision? Uh, it's for Game Pass. I mean, mobile. I mean, uh, giving players more options. I don't know. Fucking buy it, you know? That's kind of what this has evolved into, but let's not forget where it all came from. This was a, we can do it. The opportunity seems present. Let's try and take it. So I don't think it was ever like, a, oh, Xbox is fucked if they don't have it. In fact, go back to before the, this deal was done. Xbox was in such a strong position uh, right before this deal was announced. Halo Infinite had just come out, and it, people were still pretty high on it before they started shitting on it. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, the, the the Bethesda deal was recently finalized, and everyone was kind of like high on that. They're like, "Oh, that's kind of it's kind of a good get for Xbox. Good for you, Xbox. Wow, Bethesda." And I don't know if the Xbox One and Series S were like kind of gearing up, and people were excited about it. And there's a lot of heat around Xbox. It's kind of a good time. And then 2022 happened. And it was like, it's like, fuck Halo. There's no games on Xbox. 
oh my God, they're just going to buy up all the industry because they have no talent. Uh, the whole year, they're just in court. They're not doing anything. There's no games. It's just court. It's just Activision. Ah, ah, anything else. So 2022 ended up being kind of a rough year, repainting everything for Xbox. But until that point, they were kind of on a high, and it seemed like they were going to be doing fine with or without an Activision deal, right? So I, I don't really, I never really looked at this like, oh, they need Activision. But I think at this point, the money and time and investment and legal uh, just effort they put into all this deal, it would be devastating blow to them if they didn't get this deal through. But ultimately, I don't know, man. It's going to make things fundamentally different because I think there is more of a bruised relationship between Xbox and PlayStation now than there's ever been. I think this kind of makes things awkward for Activision with their relationships with these other partners going forward with Acti with Microsoft and Sony um, if this deal doesn't go through. Um, I, th I think it's just, it, it revealed a lot and kind of showed everyone's true colors and where they are in all of this. So for it to not go through and then for us to have to all kind of go back to the, our original roles before this acquisition was ever proposed, it's going to be kind of a little bit of an odd one, but nonetheless, I think Microsoft is prepared to be just fine without Activision. And although, you know, especially in the early days, I wasn't a big fan of this. I, I do, I do have to just say, I think... <laughs> It is kind of a little bit ridiculous. Like I don't, I don't think Microsoft are like innocent guys or being victimized or, or screwed over here. I was like, I don't, I don't really care, whatever. But at the end of the day, I do, I do have to just make note that um, it is crazy how this went from like PlayStation doesn't have a leg to stand on to like okay, PlayStation's actually getting through to some people. Are these people that fucking stupid? To like oh my god, PlayStation's actually making a serious dent. It's kind of funny. It's kind of a, a David and Goliath kind of con kind of situation in a way, although not entirely because obviously PlayStation's clobbering Xbox. But in the grand scheme of things, Sony is Sony's tiny compared to Microsoft. So the fact that they're they're doing this and seemingly turning the table from they don't have a prayer of a chance to oh my god they're doing it is quite impressive slash frustrating and irritating slash ob obnoxious at this point because it's just going on and on and on and PlayStation's being just so fucking annoying about it. But yeah, uh, Xbox will be fine without this deal if it doesn't go through. The deal, I, I still think there's a solid chance it goes through, but honestly, at this point, I'm just more uncertain than I've ever been and I don't want to put guesses or chances on anything because I'm just too tired to care about it. <laughs> Let's talk about Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. So also last Thursday, right after this podcast went live, um, PlayStation had a state of play um, stream, it's like their Nintendo Direct style event, where they had a big gameplay reveal and showcase for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, uh, the new Rocksteady game, the guys that make the Batman Arkham trilogy. Highly anticipated game. Gameplay footage was uh, shown, uh, showed all four characters, Harley Quinn, King Shark, Captain Boomerang, and Deadshot, uh, working together to take down a large sentient artillery cannon and dozens of reinforcements. Uh, the game is solo playable or up to four player online co-op the game's original story follows suicide squad members uh who are on a mission to save earth and kill the world's greatest dc heroes the justice league the game features fluid combat and a traversal system that's unique to the game's villains violent tastes according to the marketing uh game manager gas da uh, davies 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 well you want to jump into the top of the of a building or sing or uh Single leap as King Shark or Speed Force your way in th uh, with your trusty Boomerang as Captain Boomerang. Each player character, sorry, each playable character delivers unique skills and abilities tailored to them. Also shown off during the presentation was that the game's gear system, which includes dozens of customizable guns, costumes, and other cosmetics, 
All right, controversial time. A battle pass will also be featured, although Rocksteady claims that it's just cosmetic items. Post-game support, including new characters and missions, will also be announced later. They said that they will be coming. More controversially, according to the game's FAQ on their website, it reads, yes, the internet connection, an internet connection is required to play Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League solo or online via co-op. So, yes, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League allows players to play the game single player up to four players co-op online, but regardless, you will have to be connected to the internet in order to play suicide squad kill the justice league will be available on may 26 2023 for series s x and pc all right there's the always online thing i don't know what it is but like i i I gotta be honest with you guys i feel like i'm grasping at straws when i when i'm trying to be outraged about this to be fair to those who who are really not happy about this I don't love the idea of always online. I would prefer it if games like this or or Redfall didn't have to be always online. I, I see the point and I defend it and I don't love it. You know, I see the people, you know, soldiers stationed overseas. I see people who live in remote places with poor internet. I see people in certain countries where, you know, internet is kind of dog shit or hard to get or isn't always reliable. I get all these things and I don't think these points are not worth considering. And I do see that obviously these developers or in these publishers rather, uh, you know, especially like freaking take two or um, not take two, but WB and Bethesda and stuff. They're not making these decisions without data to back them up. You know, they're not allowing these decisions without data to back them up. If the data showed that an overwhelming percentage of players, you know, wouldn't be able to play the game without an internet connection. Therefore the game will sell poorly because people just won't have access to it. Then guess what? They would make sure it's playable offline, but it's such a, it's such a small percentage of people that this actually affects to where they feel confident and be like, yeah, fuck you. We're going to, we're going to make the game require an online connection because for whatever reason, it, it benefits the live service nature of the game. And uh, we know that the number of people that it will poorly affect is is negligent in the grand scheme of things. And I don't mean to write those people off and say their experience doesn't matter or their their perspective and struggle doesn't matter. I'm just saying that is the, the these decisions are data driven decisions. You know, I, I'm not I'm not making this stuff up. It's like that's that's how these decisions are made. So it has to be somewhat negligible um, for them to be able to make this decision as much as it sucks. And I, and I'm with you guys. Like I don't I don't want this to be the case, but it is the case. And maybe it's just me being a little selfish and blindsided by my own experience, but I just can't bring myself to be that upset about it because I'm not going to be playing Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League in 10 years. I don't care. I'm not going to be playing Redfall in 10 years, probably. Almost definitely not. I I don't care. Now, I do care about the preservation of games. I really do think we should work very, very hard to make sure all these games can be played and preserved for years and years to come. And I think if you're going to take a game like Redfall or Suicide Squad and take it offline in 8, 10, 12 years, you absolutely should have a final update which makes the game completely playable offline before you shut down the servers. No fucking doubt. I think that's what a lot of these games will probably do. But yeah, it does make me apprehensive about this idea where we can just flippantly put out games and not give a shit about the preservation of this piece of art you know, down the line. I don't love it, but it is what it is. And I just don't have anything compelling enough to say to really make any kind of argument one way or the other. I just, I, I just don't. It's something I always struggle with when this conversation comes up. What I can talk about is the game itself, the gameplay we saw. I saw people really shitting on this game. Well, it's not really shitting. I feel like it was either people shitting on it because they think it looks bad or saying, hey, this game just looks disappointing. It's not what I thought it'd be. I got the gameplay running in the background right now as I'm talking to you guys. I, I think this game looks good. Like, I'm excited about it. Maybe it's just because I played 
Gotham Knights just a bit ago, and I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, but I'm I'm a day one purchase for this game. I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I think the frantic jumping around kind of traversal mechanic, the grapple here, jump on this building here, swing around kind of thing, it looks a little bit like Sunset Overdrive. I'm not going to lie. It looks like a grittier, more realistic DC Universe version of, of Sunset Overdrive with its combat. It's just kind of frantic. They're just, like, throwing stuff, lobbing grenades and shooting shit, and it's just kind of ridiculous and i don't know like i'm looking at it, i'm like damn i i, I want to play this game this looks good to me this looks like a, a jesse game through and through so i don't know i i respect that people are disappointed by it and don't like the live service nature i get that the previous you know batman arkham trilogy was a lot more like these are really really finely tuned inspired single player narrative driven games and this just seems like you're trying to do the cash grabby games as a service stuff. And I get the arguments. It's like, listen, game development development is in a state right now where it's like, if you greenlit a game in 2016 and then it took like six or seven years for you to develop the game and make it and put it out there, by the time it comes out, it's kind of catching an old trend that's come and gone. And I get that a lot of people are kind of commenting or criticizing this game for that, where they're saying, yeah, this game was greenlit during a time where like destiny was all the rage and shit. And like everyone wanted a games as a service type game. Uh, and now it's finally ready to come out and it's 2023. And we're all looking at like, oof, we don't want this. Didn't you see what happened to games like Anthem? Like we're, we're done. Marvel's Avengers. No, we don't want that. We want a regular, just one time campaign, game it can have the co-op it just doesn't have to be a games as a service type thing and I, I get that i get why people feel that way when they see this gameplay but i can't help but look at it and say this game looks fun like i i'm okay with spending 20 30 hours jumping around going fucking crazy throwing boomerangs lobbing grenades dancing in the sky flipping around running up walls and shit like as the suicide squad just taking down big old robots and trying to murder superman like i i think this game looks awesome like i'm i don't know it's got like a really cool slide mechanic it's got cool special abilities for all the characters they all traverse a little bit differently from one another so they got different play styles it's like lights and heavies and stealth and tanks and all the different character types and I don't know, man. I'm I, I I'm really I'm not blown away. I don't think. Wow, this game looks so unique and so compelling and so different. Like this is really pushing the envelope. I don't think that at all. But I do think it looks like a damn fun game. And if I'm if I'm playing a superhero game and this is what you're gonna give me, I'm looking forward to it. It, it looks like you know because here's the thing is like I guess the best thing you can compare it to would be Marvel's Avengers because that was another superhero trying to do a games as a service type thing, cramming this IP where it doesn't belong into this genre that doesn't make sense for it. And you know what sucked about Marvel's Avengers more than the fact that it was a live service game was the fact that like the combat in the moment to moment gameplay was like not bad, but kind of uninspired. It was like fine. It was like entirely whatever. I only played a little bit of that game, but both times I tried to play it, that was my takeaway. It was just like, yeah, but like, I don't care. This interpretation of these characters is not compelling. This combat is like just okay. Why is it so like narrow and kind of crammed and funneled down this linear? Like, what, what are we doing here? But I look at Suicide Squad and I don't get that vibe at all. I'm like, that looks fun. That looks like what, like once you kind of nail the combat and the mechanics and everything, like you're just chaining shit together and having a blast. Like this looks frenetic and frantic and smooth and fluid and all the f words that make you want to play a video game like i'm i'm into this like so personally i i'm not you know again i'm not blown away i don't think it's the greatest game of all time in terms of how it looks but i do think it looks like a, a shit ton of fun and i will definitely be picking this one up i i'm i don't know I, I don't know what is wrong with me that my tastes are just always so misaligned with everyone else. I swear to God. Other than like Halo and Redfall, I feel like I'm always just paying attention to the wrong games. But nonetheless, I'm not I'm not listening to the noise. I'm going to play this game. I'm sure it's not going to be the best game ever made. I'm sure it's not going to be 10 out of 10 game of the year. 
but I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun as long as it's not like one of those busted day one games. It breaks down, doesn't do shit, needs patches, needs fixes, balancing, whatever. As long as it's just like a completed, well-polished product, I'm I'm looking forward to it. My only thing is I can't decide who I'm going to play as. Definitely not the shark guy. Pretty obvious that Deadshot looks the coolest, but I also don't like sniping, but he has other guns. So maybe him, he seems more gun-oriented. But the boomerang guy, like his movement looks kind of the coolest. But Harley Quinn is probably going to be the all-around crowd pleaser. So I'm a little, I'm a little wh- who do I play as? What do I do? So anyway, that's Justice League or Kill the Justice League Suicide Squad. I think it looks great. I'm looking forward to it. Positivity, whatever. All right, next up, we got some uh, estimated sales numbers for Xbox consoles, according to analysts. As VGC reports, Microsoft has sold 18.5 million units of the xbox series s and x consoles combined an analyst firm has estimated xbox doesn't tend to release console sales figures unless significant milestones are reached meaning that there's now official figures however uh, a newly published review of the console market in 2022 uh, ampere analyst pierre harding's roles estimated that 18 and a half million consoles have been sold by the end of last year Harding Rolls notes that while sales of both PS5 and Series X were held back due to ongoing stock shortages, Xbox managed to slightly increase its share of unit sales over the past year due to the more widely available Series S. However, it notes, quote, the level of demand for the Series S during the holiday season, even with its pricing promotion, suggests that it does not have the high-end pull of its bigger brother, the Series X. Last month, so people want the more expensive box. So last month, Sony announced that it was now uh, much easier to find a PS5, claiming that the hardware shortage was coming to an end, while Microsoft has yet to make the similar claim for the Series X. Uh, it does seem like, of all the current consoles, the Series X is actually the harder one to find. PS5 is still not easy to get, but it's it's not terribly challenging if you want to get your hands on one. S continues to be easy. X continues to be quite difficult. I, I never see the X in stock. Uh, anyway, as such, Harding Rolls predicts that the sales gap between PS5 and Xbox uh, will increase in the first half of 2023. But for now, w- until the shortage uh, until the shortages end on the Series X, it seems like the, the gap isn't that much different. That they're claiming that there's 30 million PS5s out in the wild and 18 and a half million Xboxes. So it's about an 11 and a half million lead on PS5. And it could be even closed, uh, closed even further if Series X were more available. So let's say Series X was easier to get your hands on and then be pretty conservative with the numbers. Let's say it's uh, it's 30 million versus 20 million. That's not terrible, actually, because the, the, the word was always PlayStation is outselling Xbox 2 to 1. You know, PS4 was ex- outselling Xbox 1, like 3 to 1, 4 to 1. For PS5 to only be outselling the Xbox consoles, you know, 3 to 2, I think that's... That's that's not that's not terribly bad. I don't think you know if you're the if you're the next guy up. You know I don't think 20 million units is bad. Uh, I think obviously you you they want the trajectory to be closer. You want it to be like something where it's like there's like a 10 to 15 percent margin of difference in terms of the the market. But it's just not going to happen, dude. Xbox, even though it's going to clobber in the U.S. and whatnot, it's just it's, it's never going to gain that traction in in Japan or in Japan in in Asia in general. Um, certain European markets, oh my god, PlayStation is just such a strong footing. I just don't see how it happens. But I, I think pushing on 20 million units to PlayStation's 30 million, these estimates are to be believed. These are pretty impressive. I actually don't think this is that bad. It's just this data is very different from other data we've seen. A lot of data suggests that PS5 is actually outselling Xbox Series consoles a lot more dramatically than this. So this is just really surprising new information. Um, that being said, X, Microsoft's got to figure out a way to get more Series X out there because I, I agree with this data, man. I see Series S all the time. Like 
it's not always available every time I go to the store, but when I do see it, I see like six or seven of them, and it's like, you can get yourself a Series S. It's not hard to get. It's that Series X. It's a fucking pain in the ass, dude. Surprises me people really, really, really want the high-end console. It's it's so weird because the general conve- um, conventional wisdom with anything is that the cheaper version will always sell the best. You know, the cheaper iPhone will always sell more units than the $1,200, $1,300 iPhone, right? And with most things, that's true. The Toyota Corolla will always sell better than the freaking Toyota Highlander, right? Than the Lexus, right? But for some reason with video game consoles, people want the beefier, more expensive thing. They want the PS5 with the disc drive. They want the Series X over the S. Um, I guess it's just because the gaming market, I wonder if it's just because with game consoles, it's like you buy one only like once every eight years or so, once every decade, roughly. So you're willing to splurge because even in the grand scheme of things, 500 bucks is not that much money relative to like, I don't know, $1,200 cell phone or $2,000 iMac or whatever the fuck it is. You know, it's relatively gaming is, I I know people like to complain about games being too expensive, $70. I'm so not very sympathetic to that, that plight just because... Man, I, I feel like gaming is so cheap, dude. Maybe it's because my other favorite hobby outside of gaming is is Disney theme parks. And, like, as someone who always wants to go to Disneyland and then travel to Japan so I can go to Tokyo Disneyland and then go on a Disney cruise and all, all the Disney things. And it's like the restaurants are expensive. The theme parks are expensive. The hotels are expensive. You know, Disney's expensive. I get that. Maybe it's, like, coming from that hobby by comparison to that. You know, oh, Xbox is so cheap. But I, I don't know, man. To me, like, of all the things you could be into, there's so many sports that are more expensive to play uh, than, than video games. There's so many other hobbies. People like to go out and party and drink or gamble. Uh, people like to fucking go on expensive vacations and go explore and do all this kind of crazy shit. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, fucking $500 video game console, it's going to last you, like, four to eight years and games that cost like 60 to 70 bucks and you can play them for depending on the game like 10 to 200 hours each it's like i just feel like gaming is uh is kind of like the official bang for your buck hobby you know being able to buy freaking 300 xbox and then subscribe to game pass and just have all the gaming all the time um so i i just feel like this is kind of the market speaking to that a little bit that 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 people are willing to spend the extra 200 dollars, or in a lot of cases because the Series S is always on sale somewhere, somehow. Uh, So people are always willing to pay that extra premium to have the X over the S. Just tells me that, uh, honestly, the the bitch and the moaning, the crying about games being expensive and everything, people are willing to spend the fucking money when it comes to gaming. And I think that just speaks to how it's such an accessible and relatively affordable hobby, uh, especially in a growingly pained economy where people are losing jobs and uh, and things are tightening up and inflation's out of control and everything's expensive. And, oh, you want a one-bedroom apartment? That'll be $1,800 billion for the rest of every day of your life. Um, I mean, dude, $500 for an Xbox? $70 for uh, Hogwarts Legacy? Boom. 30 hours of your life? enjoyed with Hogwarts Legacy, and then you sell this box that can play a million other great games. I mean, whatever. All right, uh, that's actually it for the big news. We just have a wrap-up story, and it is that there are new games with gold that have been announced for the month of March. We got Truber Brook, available all of March. I don't know what that is. Sudden Strike 4 Complete Edition from all of March. And then from March 16 to April 15, we've got Lamentum. So... As we all know, Games of Gold is just a fucking joke at this point. Nobody really cares about it, but be sure to download your free games. I mean, free games is free games, yo. Take what you can get. But, I mean, fuck, man. Who who cares about Games of Gold at this point? But there are your Games of Gold. Um, 
Kind of a joke. Go play. It's like this week. What do you get with uh, Games of Gold? Lamentum and Truder Brook. Okay. What do you get with Game Pass for like five bucks more? Oh, Atomic Heart and Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Okay. Okay. Just get Game Pass. Move on with your life. Just play Game Pass. Uh, anyway, okay, that's it for all of our news this week, you guys. However, we still have the important enough news, news that's important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, with which we have like 12 or something of these, so let's just rattle them off super fast. First of VGC says that Xbox Game Studios publishing team has visited Kojima Productions for the first time to discuss the upcoming collaboration. Hideo Kojima announced the game last June that they teamed up with Xbox for a cloud-based project and a never-before-seen concept. This past Wednesday, Kojima shared images at Xbox Game Studios member with Matt Booty and everyone there. Aaron, no, not Matt Booty. Aaron Greenberg was there. They took a little a little picture together. It's pretty cute. And um, yeah, Kojima says our first visit to or Greenberg says our first visit to Kojima Productions with an Xbox Game Studios publishing team, bringing engineering, cloud marketing, and production teams together for a kickoff of exciting journey ahead. People are really excited about this game. That's probably not a game. It's probably just some kind of crazy ass experiment. But uh, nonetheless. Something's happening. We don't know what it is, but they're teasing it. Uh, VGC next reports Windows or Windows Warner Bros. announced Mortal Kombat 12 will be coming during an earnings call this last Thursday. Speaking during the call, Warner Bros. Discovery CEO David Zaslov mentioned that he previously unannounced sequel named and claimed that it would release later in 2023, saying, quote, there's a lot more to come, including the highly anticipated Mortal Kombat 12, Suicide Squad, Kill Justice League, set for release this year, and ambitious projects launching after. The last game of the series was Mortal Kombat 11 in 2019. Next up, Elden Ring's first expansion, Shadow of the Shadow of the en- Entry, Elder Tree. What the fuck is that? What has officially been announced? The news came via the official Elden Ring Twitter account and wrote, "Rise tarnished and let us walk a new path together." An upcoming expansion for Elden Ring: Shadow of Erdtree is currently in development, and we hope you look forward to new adventures. No release date or price was announced. Next up, Forza Horizon 5's second expansion has been announced and will be themed around rally racing. Shown off during a live stream, the rally adventure takes place nationally north of the original Mexico map and will be released on March 29th, so look forward to that. Hogwarts Legacy has sold over 12 million copies and ranked it raked in $850 million in sales globally in its first two weeks, according to publisher WB Games. During that same earnings call we just mentioned, the open-world action RPG, uh, which was released on February 10th, had exceeded sales records across three platforms, as they said, to become the company's best, biggest launch ever. Warner Bros. also claimed that the, <laughs> Warner Bros. Also claimed that the games uh, has broken company records for player engagement of 280 million hours played to date. But that's not all, because also Hogwarts Legacy-related, a TV series is reportedly in development at Warner Bros. HBO Max. That's according to sources cited by Giant Freaking Robot, an entertainment news site with some uh, some track record and exclusive reporting. It claims that it's in early phases of development, but uh, Warner's recently released Hogwarts Legacy game presumably uh, will will be set before uh, the Harry Potter movies and novels and Fantastic Beasts spinoff. So it will follow in that footstep. So, oh boy, my Disney Infinity boys have created a monster with Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, Paradox Interactive Crusader King, for those uh, who need some kind of touchstone for them, have confirmed plans to host a game announcement show next week, taking place March 6th at 12 p.m. noon Eastern Time. The event will include announcement of three new games and four new expansions. uh, Presented in partnership with Xbox, it will be viewable on Paradox's YouTube and Twitch. 
The game is set to be announced are Colossal Order, City Skylines, the first party studio, uh, Hair's Brain Schemes, Shadowrun Trilogy, Battletech, and Paradox Tectonic, a new game being outfitted led by industry veteran Rod Humble. None of that makes sense to me, but hopefully some of it makes sense to you. Um, my guess is that Game Pass is going to play a role with some of these games. Next up, Private Division have announced Outer World Spacers Choice Edition for Series XS and PC. The updated version of the Obsidian 2019 game was first outed by Taiwanese rating boards in October and originally uh, it will be released digitally on March 7th. It will come with higher, revolution, higher resolution graphics, dynamic weather, better lighting environments, etc. Next up, originally Fallout co-creators Tim Kaine and Leonard Boyarski have expressed their enthusiasm for potentially working or for potential Fallout New Vegas remaster. The longtime partners recently co-directed Obsidian's Outer Worlds and told the gamer that they'd be keen to see the studio's 2010 Fallout game revisited, saying, quote, not that it's up to me, but it would be, it wouldn't, but wouldn't a graphical remaster of New Vegas be awesome? It would be awesome, said Boyarski in response to Kane. Next up, Sifu will be released on Xbox consoles and made available on Steam on March 28th. Developer Slow Clap confirmed. The latest game from the French indie studio behind Absolver, Sifu was originally released for PlayStation consoles and PC and Epic Game Store last February before coming to Switch in November. The game will come to Xbox and Steam, and that launch will coincide with the new area Arena's expansion that has been announced. All right, two more. Next up, Telltale Games has delayed the release of Wolf Among Us 2 to sometime in 2024 as to avoid crunch. And then finally, Verizon Wireless customers currently can pick up an Xbox Series S console for only $150. Yes, you heard that right, $150. Mobile account holders who are signed to the network's Verizon Up offer scheme can claim a coupon code that will give them half off the $300 suggested retail price of the Series S. All right, guys, that is going to do it for all of our news this week. Now, we can take a deep breath and close out with the comments, the write-ins, the shout-outs from YouTube.com. You know how it works. You go over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on Podcast. Hit subscribe. Why are you there? We're over 1,000 now. Fuck it. I'm rich. And you can leave a comment. You can say anything you want, like, Jesse, where do babies come from? Jesse, are you a communist? Jesse, are babies communists? Jesse, where did communists come from? Anything you want to say, just fucking say it. All right, we have seven entries this week. Not a whole lot of like, like, oh, let's let's have this discussion comments. A lot of like uh, non sequiturs and goofy comments and things like that. But nonetheless, excited to get into these with you guys. As I did put a couple of them already up early on the show when we talked about Tommy Cart. So actually, Cody Pavon just wrote in and actually, as I was recording, and wrote in about Tommy Cart. So the reason why we're Putting this first comment here uh, is because it kind of came in later in the show, so not to leave him out. Let's uh, let's read Cody's comment real quick and, and, and wrap wrap up the Atomic Heart conversation for the week, uh, where Cody says, Finally was able to put Hogwarts Legacy down for a second and try Atomic Heart. Only a few hours in, and my only real complaint is the dialogue can be cringe at times. Agreed. But overall, gameplay is enjoyable, and I can relate to most of the new Wolfenstein games uh, that are currently in Game Pass. Don't know if I'd pay full price for it, but I would definitely check it out on a sale. Cody, I think you... As far as, I don't know, you kind of nailed it. That's kind of my take as well, although you said it succinctly, and I said it in like 45 minutes. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, couldn't agree more. Yeah, great game. Probably worth a sale. Definitely worth it for Game Pass. A lot of Wolfenstein influence. Cringy writing, but really good time. Glad you're enjoying it, Cody. Have a great week. Next up, Mr. Mal writes in about BJ's Blowing. He says, I remember back in the day, BJ's used to have a food court. Now the ones by me all just have a Dunkin' Donuts inside. Such a shame. Mr. Malik, that is profoundly disappointing. That's better than the BJ's that just opened up by me. Because, I, like I said, it literally has a fucking popcorn 
kiosk, little lemonade stand. It's just like popcorn, pretzels, hot dog. And there's like a line of 400 people and one fucking poor ass employee just sweating their ass off trying to get all these hot dogs, all these fat Floridians. And I sit there in line and I sit there in line and then I get about 10 minutes in line. I'm like, fuck this, I'm leaving. I'm going to McDonald's and I, I leave. But yeah, super disappointing, dude. BJ's, do not cut corners. You need the food court. It is the best part of of the wholesale club shopping experience. How could you miss that? How could you miss that? How does anybody justify a BJ's fucking membership if that's what they try? Uh, it, it drives me nuts, dude. I can't even fathom. I got to move on. I'm getting so mad. All right, new comment. General Mac. Okay, full disclosure. Last week's episode kind of, quote unquote, hit the YouTube algorithm a little bit, so to speak. It's normal for an episode of this podcast on YouTube to get, like, between 40 and 80, like, clicks. Like, that's... the that's normal for this show. It gets most of its traction on like podcast services, not YouTube. Um, I guess my my title was clickbaity enough or something. It, it worked. It worked well enough because for some reason the podcast got like 250 uh, views on YouTube last week, and so with that came a, a came some uh, clearly not usual Xbox on commenters. Um, I welcome anyone who wants to write in, uh, no matter what. That's totally fine. Uh, but oh my god, some of the shit. Listen to this. Uh, or we're not there yet, quite yet. So I'll, I'll let you know when we get there. So I just realized this this first two comments don't pertain to that. But first one, uh, new commenter, General Max says, hilarious bar joke, great podcast. Grats on the milestone. Thank you, General Mac. I appreciate you writing in. Hope you're having a great week. Thank you for the support. Uh, Tim R says, hey, Jesse, congratulations on the milestone. Listening to you read my comment makes me realize I need to be more concise. Listening to my podcast reminds me that I need to be more concise. Tim, sounds like we have a lot in common. Thank you for writing in, and I hope you're having a great week as well. Uh, and then Daniel Windsor Hardman writes in, and he, oh boy, here's where that here's where that YouTube fame, this is what happens, boy. You hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, then all of a sudden these motherfucking wannabes come flooding in your DMs, and they're like, PlayStation this, Spider-Man that, pow pow, superheroes, fucking Wolverine and Deadpool 3, not me. And so Daniel Windsor Harmon writes in and says, wow, Xbox has to sell its entire catalog and go into debt just to be able to have Spider-Man on its console. Daniel, first of all, thank you for writing in. I don't know if you listen to the show or not. Comments suggest you didn't, but I appreciate you writing in and I appreciate you listening to the show very earnestly. So like, th thank you. That being said, Daniel, I have no clue what you're talking about. Xbox has to sell its entire cat. Xbox didn't sell any of its catalog of IP um, or developers. That's what you're saying. Um, Xbox did not go into debt. It's it's Microsoft. They have unlimited money and they don't have Spider-Man on their console. So I just don't, I simply do not know what you're referring to, but yeah, I mean, Daniel, I hope you're having a great week. Listen, I don't know what your dietary like kind of preferences and, and, and regiment is, but Hey, man, if you haven't heard, there's a really good uh, spicy potato taco over at Taco Bell that I highly recommend you check out. Just, I don't know, I'm just trying to, trying to fucking spark some common ground or something, man. Hope you have a good week. Uh, also, Epic Gamer 6949 I just know this is like someone who bullied me in high school uh, commenting on my podcast. I, what the fuck is this? It says, oh, just what I wanted. More bad COD games. Um, no, this is an Xbox podcast. Like, I talk about, like, um, Phil Spencer and, like, the the guy at Activision that touches the women and the fucking guy in Russia that kills people because he's a fucking shitbag and and then you know like Hogwarts and like you know like power your dreams like that's this isn't Call of Duty I'm not Call of Duty my podcast is not more bad Call of Duty games my my podcast is just more bad Xbox pod I don't Epic Gamer 6949 I genuinely don't know what you're talking about but uh, I I do appreciate you writing in I hope you stick around and um maybe find out what it is you're talking about 
And also, if, if you haven't already, again, I don't know your uh, dietary preferences and whatnot, but there's a spicy potato burrito. I keep saying burrito, but it's a taco. Pardon me. It's over at the Taco Bell, and I highly recommend you check it out, man. I think you might really enjoy one, one or – I'll be honest with you. They're small. One's not enough. You need at least two. I would go for three, but I'm a little bit of a fat ass. So Epic Gamer 6949, thank you for writing in. Uh, oh, God, even better. Uh Go Gogerever, Go Goji Reaver responded to Epic Gamer and said, "Once Microsoft get them, I'm sure Activision will be deleted. They're way toxic of a company, but they have good IP, including Warcraft." Well, Go Griever, uh, it's all one word, so I'm not sure how, how I'm supposed to read that. But Go Griever, Go Griever, uh. I don't think they'll delete Activision. I don't think they can. I think they're going to have to run it kind of like the way they do Bethesda, where it's going to be like a separate subsidiary of Microsoft. But um, I agree they have I, I, Warcraft is a good IP. I agree. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for being part of the show. Uh, listen, man, teach their own. If you don't like Call of Duty, you don't like Call of Duty. I got I to gotta respect that. I think Call of Duty is fucking great. Um, there's a reason why it sells a billion copies every year. It's not because people are robots. It's because... People like consistently good games, and Call of Duty is one of them. All right, early access controversy. Let's talk about it. Kronky writes in and says, I've said this once, and I'll say it again. Elephant's faithful 100%. What the fuck? Oh, it says, I, I wrote scribble, but the scribble ended up on, on the wrong comment. My bad. I've said this before. Early access for pre-orders is just a delay for the game. It's not a perk. It's a negative. Not a big deal because you just pre-order the game and get access to it. So it's the same as buying it. I never understood this one. Yeah, I, I understand your logic on that. And you're not wrong, Cronky, because, yeah, I get it. You're talking about, like, when a game's like, uh, comes out August 16th, pre-order the game and get three days early access on August 13th. You know, I, I know what you're talking about. Hogwarts Legacy is what you're referring to recent, most recently did that. Uh, Xbox does that a lot with, with, like, Forza games and Gears 5 did that. But, well, no, Xbox does it worse. Xbox does the... Buy the deluxe $80, $90 edition, and then we'll do it. But yeah, I, I get what you're getting at. Personally, I find this to be less egregious because I would rather a world where it's like, yeah, we're going to hold the game hostage for people who don't pre-order the game by like 48, 72 hours, I guess, you know, to incentivize people to pre-order. I'd rather that reality than the one where they're like, yeah, we force our developers to crunch out some fucking like shitty uh bear skin for your gun and uh and a poster of a half naked girl on a on a tricycle by the way this is cyberpunk i guess like i, I i'm just so tired of like the the shitty cash grab you like make sure you pre-order it you're gonna miss out cosmetic gear special missions all this uh, no thanks man like if, if, if you're just gonna be like oh, i'm incentivizing you with a couple extra days whatever all, all isn't everything kind of like made up and just perceived value like i get what you're saying it's like if you could release the day, the game three days early, then you're not... Well, I don't know. I guess maybe I could actually disagree with you because rather than making that point and kind of siding with you, I could also say, well, it's not technically a delay because it's like the game has to be pre-committed well in advance for a marketing blitz of like a marketing commitment and tie-in. So for them to put it three days early, it's like, yeah, I guess you could kind of say it's a delay, but it's always just going to be three days ahead of, you know, that three-day early access is always going to be three days ahead of whatever that commitment for its marketing rollout is so in a way it's like not necessarily a delay but I, I do i do get what you're saying it's just i don't know it's not a hill i'm willing to die on it's not something i i very much feel any passion for this is to me one of the least offensive kind of like pre-order to get you know, kind of things like i i don't know i always remember in 2010 being in high school being like i gotta get someone to give me a ride to gamestop so i can pre-order call of duty black ops so i can get the black ops poster on my wall 
And I still have that poster. It's not hanging up. I haven't had it hanging up in like probably seven, eight, eight years at this point. But I, um, yeah, I remember, I remember that. And it's just like, God, can you imagine if that's how I still was as an adult? It's just, I gotta get to GameStop so I can pre-order and get the double kick pedal for Guitar Hero Metallica. Yes, I got that one too. Don't fucking, you know I did. You know I'm stupid enough. But I don't know. Like this one just doesn't bother me enough to care. So I, I take your point. I think you're right, but honestly. I think people need more potassium in their diet, so they should eat the spicy potato taco from Taco Bell. Tim R. responded to you, Cronky, though. He said, sometimes I feel DLC is the same thing. Obviously not always, but if the game feels incomplete without the DLC, then the DLC was supposed to be part of the initial release. Um, I feel like that used to be a lot of the case like back in like the 360 days and stuff. I feel like we don't really see that as much anymore, but you're not wrong. Um, actually, you know where we saw that a lot was like during the early Xbox One era, where like everything was a season pass. But yeah, I, I, I never get that feeling anymore. I don't even think DLC really even exists anymore. DLC is just like, oh yeah, more free content in a game update by cosmetics. You know, like I kind of miss old school DLC. I, is it is it crazy that we're in a place now where I'm kind of nostalgic for DLC? I'm kind of nostalgic for like a, a publisher being like, hey man, buy our new map pack for 15 bucks because nowadays it's like. Oh, the maps are free, but it's one map at a time. It's also a shitty map, and also it's part of a Battle Pass Season Royale uh, update with a special in-game timed event. Fuck you, you missed out. Godzilla is no longer in the game. Something like that, so I don't know. Thank you all for writing in. I appreciate the comments. Uh, interesting bunch of comments, but nonetheless, I do appreciate everyone writing in. It's fun. Whether, whether you're saying coherent things or incoherent things, whether you're being nice or mean, whether you're staying on subject or talking about nonsense, I don't give a shit. I just appreciate you writing in, and I just appreciate the con- the company and the conversation. I think it makes the podcast more interesting, at least to, uh, more interesting to make. I don't know if it's more interesting to listen to, but I think the moral of the story is um, two things, twofold. You got to get the spicy potato taco at Taco Bell. And if you play Atomic Heart, Yes, you're a communist Soviet sympathizer, but more importantly, you're a sack of shit. But I've always been a sack of shit, so I'm absolved of any guilt. What's your excuse? Power your dreams. Oh, wait. Also, uh, thank you for commenting this week. Uh, Don't be shy. Reply. And also, that's going to do for our week, our podcast. Hope you guys take care. Uh, As always, same thing I always say, whatever it is, ranting on and on. Eat some yummy food. Hang out with people you care about. Take care of yourselves. Focus on your breathing. Make sure you get some exercise every day. It's really good for your heart. Why don't you play? Why don't you play one? I dare you, Xbox gamers. We gotta support Japan. Play one game with anime boobies in it, just so we get more Japanese games on Xbox. Okay, there's plenty of them. We got Persona. We got Tales of Symphonia. All this shit's on Xbox now. Let's fucking do it, man. So, uh, go support your local Japanese developers, whatever that means. And until next week, power your dreams. <laughs>